Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a Friday edition of Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you from their wildly popular release on Fallen Tree Records. That is Ayla Brooke and the Soundman, and our thanks to them for uh, the fabulous music that we're proud to uh, to roll in with and roll out with, it, for that matter, each and every show. It's going to be a good show today. I know that uh, not everybody got what they wanted in yesterday's provincial budget. Uh, we're talking to uh, Albertans, of course, today on the budget. We're going to be talking to Canadians today in just a minute with the uh, natural uh, resource minister, the minister of natural resources. Seamus O'Regan is going to join us here on the show in just moments. And, and we'll talk about energy. Uh, we'll talk about energy corridors. We'll talk about, yeah, wind and solar and, and Texas. We'll talk about orphan wells on the prairies and, and whose job is it to clean them up and how do those get cleaned up? And we've got some great questions that we've had uh, submitted from from viewers and, and podcast subscribers. We've had a couple of questions submitted from some Alberta mayors, which is going to be great. And we're going to get to those. And and even a past guest, uh, you probably remember Mark Duran that was on the other day, the other week talking about Alberta's orphan wells. Uh, Mark wrote in with a question specifically for the natural resource minister, I appreciate when this when this goes down, you see that, you know, your favorite show, if I might say, and we love you for it. You know, your favorite show has got a, a, a mover and a shaker booked, whether that's a high level politician like a, a federal cabinet minister or whether that's the CEO of a company that you're interested in or a company that you're, you're taking issue with. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a prominent community member, but there's an opportunity to see somebody uh, held accountable and we absolutely love, and it happens on a regular basis. It happens frequently, and we really appreciate it. We'll announce that somebody's coming up, and then all of a sudden, our email inbox will be like, ding, 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 ding. And that was the case yesterday when I reminded you that today is Friday. Yesterday, Thursday evening, I, I, I just floated the reminder that each and every Friday, our friends at Local Waste Services present trash talk this is your chance to get off your chest what you need to get off your chest and uh, we wrap up the shows on friday with it it's a bit of a cathartic exercise and many of you uh chimed in and took the opportunity to send us a few emails and so we'll have a lively edition of trash talk coming up to end the show today can i tell you about a, a bit of a dilemma that i'm in and sam i didn't even i didn't look to use the technical producer of this show to solve this issue for me uh, from a technical standpoint, because I'm not sure what we would have done. But, but as you know, uh, due to a, 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 do I call it a COVID scare, a contact of mine tested positive for COVID-19. So, so we immediately put measures in place where I would uh, broadcast this show from my home this week, which is what I've been doing. And uh, it just occurred to me, Sam, last night as I was typing out that reminder email to Real Talkers and to Canadians from coast to coast, this will be the first time that I'm delivering an edition of Trash Talk with my five-year-old son upstairs, it's teacher's convention. And so he's home and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to manage this. It's going to require some delicate delivery. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 did I bring you a long enough mic cable that you could just like run out to your garage with it for trash? Talk? I could go, I could, yeah. I could step outside and then the neighbors, I mean, the neighbor's kid would hear it. Uh, the, the neighbors have on both sides. The neighbors have kids. So, so you, I'm not sure they will. Someone's going to be traumatized today is what you're saying. Someone, someone, someone might learn a few new words today. Okay. Uh, you know, bad. And, and we're not going to get, we're not going to get sympathy from, from the audience today because they're going to say, Jesperson, you've been 
blindsiding us with trash talk for 11 weeks now. And we've had to scramble. We've had to scramble. So our kids get the earmuffs on. So now they're going to say, welcome to our world. <laughs> all right. You doing all right today, pal? I'm doing just fine. It's uh, I, I, you know, there's like, look at this empty void. I'm very yeah. sad. Every time I look it over feels- there. It, it, something I can't wait just to have you feels, back in studio. Some, something just feels off in the universe, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, we'll be back. I've got a, I've got another test coming up this weekend just to make sure that that we're all systems go to make sure that everything's all clear. And then we anticipate that Real Talk will be back uh, coming to you live from our studio uh, live regardless and uninterrupted. But we'll be we'll be back next week live in studio if everything goes according to plan. Um, we're going to be talking to the federal minister in just a moment. Sam, I expect he's probably in the bullpen warming up right now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Well, then this is a good time to officially kick things off by reminding you that our presenting sponsor each and every day is the team at Bitcoin. Well, they are Canada's, uh, renowned experts when it comes to the Bitcoin ATM. How much do you know about this? You know, that people buy and sell Bitcoin literally by a, a specific ATM. Bitcoin Well has them all across Canada, but they're proudly headquartered in Alberta, right here in the capital city of Edmonton. Uh, they're growing big time this year, moving to a new location downtown. Yeah, if you, by the way, this is a this is a hyper local reference, but Edmontonians have been wondering who is going to take over that massive space, that 35,000, 40,000 square feet at Jasper Avenue and 104th Street. It's our presenting sponsor. They're moving in there. Bitcoin Well is, and they want to make conversation about crypto easier and more accessible to you. So if you're looking for a reputable and unintimidating way, you know, a source for Bitcoin information, may we refer you to Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We'll be talking about Alberta's budget, uh, the Real Talk Roundtable today from 9 to 10 Mountain. That'll be 11 to noon Eastern. We're checking in with four different voices. We're going to get four different perspectives on that budget. A political scientist out of McEwen University, Dr. Chaldeans Mensa. We'll talk to a conservative strategist, uh, Melissa Cowett. We're going to check in with uh, Kiki Planet. She is one half of the formidable podcasting team, the women of AB Pauly and uh, Steven Anderson is going to make his return to the show. You remember Steven, a fourth generation Alberta millwright uh, that felt a call to get into education. And Steven's been teaching for the last decade or so. He's got a very interesting perspective on industry and education and funding. He asked his way back on the show and we said, yeah, I think it's time to bring him back. Real talkers responded in a big way when he joined us before, but let's talk federal uh, well, I mean, this is, there's always sort of an intersection, isn't there? I say, let's talk federal politics. It's all intermingled. I mean, who knew that that mayors across Alberta had orphan wells on the radar as much or maybe even more than the provincial government did? And, and whose job is it anyway, the provincial government or the federal government, if we're going to talk about creating initiatives or if we're going to talk about solving energy problems like those orphan wells? Whose job is it to advocate for Keystone XL, if possible, or for Enbridge Line 5. Well, a big part of this, of course, uh, falls in the lap of Alberta, of uh, the Federal Minister of Natural Resources, the Honorable Seamus O'Regan. Um, Sam, I have a bit of a look behind the scenes here, and it appears to me as though we might be ready to rock. Are we? 
Well, I mean, you're seeing what I'm seeing, and 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 okay. from what I'm it seeing is is Minister Oregon is we we got a quick preview, and it looks like his camera's off, so we'll just hang okay, tight until no he gets problem. back connected. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do then. I'll I'll wait for you to jump in. Uh, as real talkers know, and and people that are listening to our podcast later, Sam, you and I really have no method of communicating here. I can't see what I typically see when I'm in studio. So Sam, you jump into my ear. You let me and the audience know when the minister's ready to it go. It looks like he's and, ready to go. Okay, well, why don't we say Here hello we then to the Honorable uh, Seamus O'Regan, kind enough to join us this morning. Minister, welcome. This is your Real Talk debut. Welcome to the show. Great, Ryan. Thanks. There are a lot of people in my office who watch you, so I don't know why this took so long, but anyway, I'm happy to be here. Well, we really appreciate that and uh, and your willingness and your availability. I would imagine uh, even at a federal level, a cabinet minister like yourself is probably paying some degree of attention to a province's budget, to the budget like what Alberta released yesterday. It gives you a sense of where the provincial government's priorities are. Yeah, no, I watched it live. Uh, you know, vitally important. It's, it's uh, you know, there were a few things that I think I took it, for no, and they were small investments, but uh, you know the fact that we have a, an ESG secretariat that they're building now, I think, is hugely important. Um, you know, this is this is not a joke. This is where investment money is going. They're looking at places that take ESG seriously. And the good news is, Alberta's got a great story to tell on ESG. You know, we're good on the environmental go- and the governance fronts. Um, so I think that that's good news. And uh, and and significant investments. I think seventy three million dollars in uh, carbon capture. That is an area where we want to work with the Alberta government hand in glove. Um, and I've had some really good meetings with, uh, you know, the majors uh, in the oil patch, as well as Minister Savage on this. Um, we think there's huge opportunity for that, not, not just for lowering emissions, uh, but also for hydrogen, which could be a, a, a huge play for Alberta and for Canada. We're going to be uh, talking about hydrogen. You and I, in just a few moments, we actually put an invitation out to a couple Alberta mayors uh, because they're the ones that understand what's going on most specifically in their jurisdictions. And they were kind enough to provide questions for you, Minister. So to those in just a moment, why, why don't we start with the obvious? It feels like a bit of an old story. A guy like you that was in, in broadcasting and storytelling for many years before entering into politics. You, th- this may be like a bit, may feel like a bit of a stale lead, but this is my first chance to talk to you about some pipeline projects. And, and Enbridge Line 5 is probably the one at the top of everyone's list right now with yeah. regards to what people are keeping an eye on. But but Keystone XL, uh, Joe Biden yeah. comes in, he swears in as pre- president literally the first day on his pile of things to do is to officially deliver the death blow to Keystone XL. How, were you expecting that? I mean, was this something you saw coming? Not that soon. I'm all, I'll, I'll give it to you and exactly how it happened. I mean, as soon as as soon as Biden was elected. Uh, I started regular, uh, almost twice weekly meetings with the Minister Savage and with James Rashad, who's uh, Alberta's envoy in, uh, in, in Washington. And I've known James for some time with a lot of mutual friends and you know, knew him when he was an MP and I was a reporter. Great guy and uh, really knows the ground well. He was working hand in glove with Ambassador Hillman and all, and all the staff there. We went full court press in Keystone XL. Uh, I, I am... And I remain very proud that we advocated for it as much as we did, because I think TC ended up getting it right. They had net zero operations. So the pumping stations were all going to be pumped uh, using solar and wind. Um, they had uh, they were working with unions on both sides of the border, hand in glove. And they were working with First Nations and, you know, presenting equity stake positions. I mean, this was this was really this is a good project. Um, and we felt it needed to be reevaluated this as the prime minister said, uh, you know, when, in a meeting that we had with Premier Kenny, Keystone XL of Keystone XL of 2015 and the Keystone XL of 2020, 2021, very different, very different projects. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we got word on inauguration day early that morning 
very early uh, that they were going to move, that the president was going to move on the day, hours after he was sworn in. We didn't expect that. And, uh, and you know, the funny thing was, I, I, I speak regularly with Minister Savage, and uh, but I didn't know what time in the morning she gets up. So I'm waiting because I'm in Newfoundland, four and a half, three and a half hours time difference between her and me. And I'm um, like, ah, so 6.30, I took a chance. It turns out 6.30 in the morning is okay to call Sonny Savage. Um, you hate waking people up with bad news. And I had to call Minister Ayer as well. Uh, you know, I wanted to be the one to call him because we had worked so hard on this. We had worked, you know, hand in glove. It was a good project. Um, and, but anyway, there we are. It, it, it happened very quickly. Um, it was clearly something that the president felt very strongly about. When he made that commitment back in May, you know, trying to shore up support to take uh, the Democratic nomination. He obviously was very serious about this. And while we went, you know, we left no stone unturned, uh, you know, and between Minister Savage and myself, the Prime Minister, uh, the Ambassador, the Premier. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the political will uh, for uh, the president was, was, was there and he was doing it. And that was it. Um, you know, that was tough. Uh, we, you know, we were very disappointed. It was something that we, we told the administration. But I, look, I will say this, and I don't want it to sound like I'm turning the page too quickly, because as I said in the House of Commons during an emergency debate, you know, there were some leaders of certain parties who tweeted out Yahoo when this was announced. There were a thousand people who were given their pink slips. You know, there's, that's a thousand families. There's nothing to Yahoo about here. Um, we just, but we, you know, I'm, I'm, I am confident that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror, that the that we are more aligned with this administration than we were with the previous one, that now we can sit down at the table and deal with these matters as adults, as opposed to finding out about changes in our energy policy by tweet, Ryan, which for four years we began to accept as normal. That was not normal, right? So at least now I think we have an opportunity to sit down and hash these things out. And, you know, that's how I enter into things like Line Fox. You know, Minister, what I appreciate uh, about interviews like this, you know, we've got, uh, you know, 25 minutes where we can talk to you and we've, we've got enough time to really dig into this is that through the typical news cycle. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, probably the, the media has a certain role to play here. I think the politicians have a certain role to play here. Everybody kind of factors in. But the reality is you'll hear like a seven or a nine or an 11 second soundbite on something. You know, and what what someone may have pulled from what you just said is, you know, the windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror and it's time to move on. And, and I think to a certain degree, that was the impression that some advocates of the energy industry got, or maybe they were being led to believe that that was, that was the perspective the federal government had here. Um, the spin politically, provincially out of Alberta was that the federal government didn't care, didn't try, isn't going to put any effort in and isn't going to fight for Alberta. And, and here over, over the course of this answer you've given us, it turns out that there's actually been quite a bit of collaboration uh, between not just Canada and the United States, but between the federal and the provincial government. And I'm not sure that members of the general public have been informed that that is indeed the case. How would you characterize the relationship between the Alberta government and the federal government right now on the energy file? I think we work together where we can. That's for sure. I mean, you know, I have a very good relationship with Sonia Savage. Uh, it began with uh, the, the moment I was sworn in at Rideau Hall and a mutual friend uh, gave her my uh, cell phone number. And literally, i just gotten sworn in and we were all, you know, we're all carted out in front of the media, in front of Rideau Hall. Uh, and I'm waiting my turn and I get a text from Sonny Savage that says, when are you coming to Alberta? 
And, you know, this was immediately after the last federal election, right? So you remember it was fairly polarized, uh, especially on energy. We didn't win a single seat in Alberta or Saskatchewan. It's pretty polarized, right? And uh, I texted her back immediately and I said, how's tomorrow? So, uh, you know, because I knew I, I would have said that I would have flown there that night, to be honest, but we had a cabinet meeting the next day and we weren't doing cabinet meetings by WebEx then. So I had to show up live. And, and um, you know, I flew in, I flew in the next day and, and had flown in, I think, five times before the pandemic hit. Um, and I think we were planning just before it hit on me and her going to see some uh, carbon capture sequestration projects in BC together. We have a very good relationship. Uh, it is not the narrative, to your point. And I don't know what to say about that. I mean, you know, it is not the narrative that a lot of the media anywhere in Canada wants to hear. There is, you know, there is certain things that we are led to believe in this country. Uh, and one is that Alberta and Canada will never agree on energy. That's not true. Um, and I just got to keep at it. I just got to keep at it. Uh, I have very good relationships with Minister Savage, with Minister Ear. And the important thing, you know, I keep, I'm, I'm broadcasting from St. John's. We are the other oil producing province in this country. You know, we depend more on the royalties from oil here in Newfoundland than you do in Alberta. So I got to get this file right. It's as simple as that. These are, you know, I'm here at home. These are my neighbors. These are my friends. These are members of my family that work in this industry. I am, I am invested. And I'll never forget somebody asking a question in front of Rideau Hall shortly after I texted Sonia saying, what could a Newfoundlander possibly know about Alberta oil? Holy God, have you ever taken a flight from St. John's to Toronto going to Edmonton? Yeah. J-class is filled with, you know, was anyway. I mean, it's not as much now, unfortunately. And one of the biggest issues, by the way, right, right now in Newfoundland that dominates our news are, you know, all the Newfoundlanders over the past 20, 30 years that have helped to build the oil sands, they continue to go out there to do the work. But when they come back here, they got a quarantine. And, you know, mentally for them and for their families, it is a big deal. So that is, that's what dominates the news here. That's how much of our workforce not only works in, in offshore oil here in this province, but continue to go out to Alberta and Saskatchewan and BC to do work out there. So There's this, a, you know, this is top of mind for me. I'm invested. There's a, a promise that the federal government has made and, and obviously a, a, an onus on the federal government at all times, regardless of who it is, uh, to endeavor to create jobs. Uh, the provincial government campaigned on on jobs, economy and pipelines. Um, I, I think that, you know, they, they've made some decisions on pipelines to try to support them that, that can be uh, evaluated and ultimately judged by the public. Um, described yeah. yesterday by by former Environment Minister Shannon Phillips, official opposition finance critic as a casino bat on another Trump White House. But the public can decide on that. What I think people, you know, with regards to the economy, COVID, global oil prices, people want to see some form of responsible approach. I don't think anybody's expecting uh, a budget to, to to be balanced at, at this moment, not letting politicians off the hook. It brings me to this point. The one thing mm -hmm. that people expect to see politicians work like hell on is creating jobs. And Great. I know that that a big part of what the federal government is committed to fund uh, comes down to orphan wells uh, in Alberta. And there's a big problem uh, when it comes to orphan wells in Alberta. And, and I'd be curious what numbers you're seeing, but the numbers I heard are uh, a, a deficit with regards to cleanup, but essentially Alberta uh, on the hook for anywhere between 40 and $250 billion, depending on the numbers you look at. I talked to an individual by the name of Mark Doran uh, yeah. and, and, and he and some others, it sounds like you're familiar with him with the polluter pay federation. And he has a question for you. He says, given that there's little, that the federal government can actually do about lawlessness in Alberta's energy matters outside federal jurisdictions, will the minister, one, 
confirm that the federal taxpayer will not be put on the hook in the event that a new liability management system fails to require the energy sector to do a better job retiring in active wells? Will you, number two, recommend modernization of the Federal Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act? And number three, will you address what the goals of the federal funding were if they have been achieved and what performance measures are in place to gauge the effectiveness of federal spending? Those on Orphan Wells. The, the, the idea behind the $1.7 billion that we gave almost a year ago to Orphan and Inactive Wells was to keep good people working. Uh, and, and I have laid it out very clearly. This isn't a charitable endeavor by the federal government. This is to make sure we don't lose talented people. Um, I have said time and again uh, how it is incredible what we have done in the span of a generation. We have figured out how to take oil out of sand and become the fourth biggest producers of oil and gas in the world within 20 years, 30 years. That's extraordinary. It's the people that have done that. It, it is the expertise, the ingenuity, determination, hard work of thousands of energy workers that have done that. We can't afford to lose them because right now we are going through the biggest challenge that our energy and our energy sector, and therefore economically, I would argue, our country is confronted in a generation. And that is climate change and the challenge of lowering emissions. And the challenge right now, the very real, real challenge that investment is moving. So in the interim, when the panic hits, and, and you have an international price war, uh, your most important thing is making sure you don't lose these talented people, you don't lose the workers. So putting $1.7 billion towards orphan and inactive wells is to get people working. Uh, our, you know, our performance gauge on that is, you know, are people getting out there and working? They are, I mean, you know, tens of thousands of people are. Is it rolling out as fast as, as the Alberta government or the federal government would like? No, um, but you know, a lot of that is, a lot of that is because there is a heavy demand uh, and so it's a ma you know, matter of increasing the capacity on the ground. I mean, this, this is something that Alberta is rolling out, but that is one of the reasons why we chose to do it, because they had the capacity on the ground to get this done. For us at that point, you know, back last March, last April, it was about speed. It was about, it was about giving people those assurances that work was going to happen and, and rolling it out as quickly as we could. We didn't need another you know, federal bureaucracy or department or program. Um, there was something that existed in the three provinces affected in BC and Alberta and Saskatchewan. It was working. That was the vehicle that we used. Um, we're confident that the Alberta government is going to come up with a regime that makes sure that polluters pay. Um, and, you know, I've received assurances that that is exactly what will happen. So, you know, I'm, I look forward to that because, no, I, on the principle of it, you don't want, uh, you, you know, you want to make sure that people who invest and make a mess clean it up. Uh, and I think that the more that the more that the public learns about it, the the more that we're realizing how easy it seems, relatively easy it's been uh, for producers to simply walk away from these issues, to, to, to download the liabilities, to sell these wells. I may not be using the proper terminology, but to transfer them and make them not their problem. And it's been a huge yeah. wake up call for the public and people want to see political leadership. Minister, we're going to run out of time. I still haven't even touched on Texas and, and wind and solar and line five, but we did invite a couple of Alberta mayors who I have a lot of respect for to ask you questions directly. And the okay. first one that we're going to tee up, she is the mayor of Sturgeon County. Uh, oh, yeah. I've, I've always seen her as an innovative leader. Uh, here she is, her worship, Alana Natchew. Welcome, Minister O'Regan, and thanks to Ryan for allowing me to ask a question today. In November of last year, the federal government set an ambitious goal to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. 
Achieving these climate transition targets will not only require a Team Canada approach, it will also require the development of national utility corridors as a priority to get resources and products to markets. More importantly, providing a predictable and timely approach will incentivize the private sector to invest in the hydrogen economy in Canada. So my question is, is the federal government looking at ways to strengthen and improve predictability to build out the necessary infrastructure to get the resources and products to the identified markets in the national hydrogen strategy? I look forward to hearing your answer. Thank you. Minister. Yeah, the mayor was part of the announcement on the hydrogen strategy, actually. And she had a quote that I have been using ever since, which is, you know, to people who say, uh, you know, can we do hydrogen? And her, uh, her answer was quickly, we are doing hydrogen. We're doing it. We know we can do it because we're doing it. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, don't want to give too much away. I can tell you what we're working on. Um, but we, we are working on implementing a hydrogen strategy in this country. Uh, when we announced hydrogen uh, back uh, a month and a half ago, it was a national strategy. But let me tell you how I define national. It is not, you know, cookie cutter, and it's the same for everywhere across the country. I grew up in Labrador. I grew up in a, you know, small town in the north. Every time I, you know, the federal government would do something, it was something that was meant for people in, in Brampton, Ontario, or Burnaby, BC, but it, it really didn't have any effect on me. If you want to have a national plan, it's got to answer regional strengths and weaknesses. Um, so therefore, with hydrogen, we are looking at green hydrogen in areas like Quebec. So you've got, you know, a renewable power source, or in this case, a hydroelectric power source that's going to generate hydrogen for us. And in Alberta, we're looking at blue hydrogen, right? Everybody wants to get the green, but blue is very accessible for Alberta because of the natural resource wealth, because of the infrastructure, because of the work that the mayor is doing and others in Sturgeon County. Um, and you know, the amount of work that we can do, I think, with, uh, with First Nations and Métis communities up there as well. With hydrogen, the trick is to generate it close to where you distribute it. And, and so our plan is to create hubs where you generate the hydrogen and then, you know, it can, you can have 18-wheelers fuel up right there. Um, the Ocean Supercluster, which is based here in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is a private sector, you know, federal government thing, we, they just announced their biggest uh, $2 million grant, which is their biggest uh, investment in a company in British Columbia that's looking at maritime uh, hydrogen batteries. So we could get ships off of, you know, that awful diesel that they use, right? High emitting stuff. Um, that would mean that we could build a port, for instance, a hub in the port of, of Vancouver, where you would generate the hydrogen and then the hydrogen could be distributed to the uh, to, to ships, to container ships, for instance. Um, so that's the strategy. Um, we think we need to invest in that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, watch this space. I, I am extremely ambitious about hydrogen and, you know, obviously because it's zero emitting, but also Canada can lead the way here. And the European Union is putting significant money in this. So South Korea, so is Japan. And watch the Americans. That's the thing about what's happening with the Biden administration right now. When the Americans go big on something, no one goes bigger. And I can tell you coming out of that meeting, uh, you know, with, with the president, I was there, you know, with the meeting with the president and the vice president uh, on a whole host of issues with the prime minister. Climate change, how we, how, we, how we react to that and how we make sure that we lower emissions to stay competitive and hydrogen is going to be a big player there. That dominated the meeting, I can tell you that. Um, and, and I, by the way, I should acknowledge my, uh, my American counterpart just got sworn in yesterday, Governor Jennifer Granholm, now Secretary Granholm, Secretary of Energy. She is huge on renewables, former governor of Michigan, 
knows the Line 5 issue very well, knows what it is to be a border state with the United States, with, with Canada, um, and that is going to dominate. Hydrogen is going to be a big play for our country, and, uh, and Alberta is going to be a big player in it. Uh, I've got three questions left. I want to see if we can do them in three minutes. We'll respect the time frame that you've been able to clear for us. Uh, You talk about line five. That's been a big one right now because the more experts we talk to, I found some optimistic oil industry executives that have said, hey, listen, you know, the Keystone XL uh, cancellation is, is not great news. But it's maybe not as bad for Alberta so long, you know, it, it maybe not as bad as everybody's spinning it so long as we still have the capacity we have. And everybody's mm-hmm. been talking about line five and how important that is. Uh, but that seems to be the next one in the crosshairs. Now, you mentioned you've talked about it with with American administration. Um, what's the federal government doing to protect, preserve, promote line five? Uh all hands on deck. We're following, uh, you know, we're following a tried and true strategy that we used uh, with NAFTA 2.0, uh, working at the state level, working, uh, working at every level uh, to make sure that what is an operational pipeline, Ryan, remains operational. And we're very confident that that is the case. The Detroit News three days ago had a, an editorial address to Governor Whitmer in, in, in Michigan saying the reason why we were one of the few states that didn't suffer a propane shortage and therefore have cold people in their homes is because of line five. 65% of the lower peninsula gets their propane and home heating from line five. I, I talked to a, I've talked to a couple of people about what happened in Texas um, and, and the idea, I mean, people, some people literally were, were risking freezing in their homes. It was a total disaster down there. Mm-hmm. I think it's disingenuous to say some people are spinning it like it's, it was the collapse of, of green energy and sustainables and solar oh, failed tech. I mean, it's, I think it's been debunked and we've talked to a couple of researchers on the show this week, but, but what did you as minister of natural resources learn or what, what, what did you take from that? I would imagine you learned or took something from it. Yeah, it's good to be Canadian. You know how to winterize your grid. You know how to winterize your utilities. Uh, We know how to do that. Um, You know, unfortunately, in Texas, they don't. Uh, The other important thing is you need to invest in your infrastructure and you can't you can't just, you know, freewheel all that out. You can't. Yeah, you have an important role to make sure that you continue to invest. And if you if you have a completely decentralized system um, that, you know, does not incent uh, utilities to invest in their infrastructure, then this is the sort of thing that happens. So, you know, regulation, I know regulation sometimes gets characterized as red tape. And when it's unnecessary, it is red tape. Uh, but where it's necessary, it keeps people warm. Yeah, that's well said. I'm going to give last question uh, to my good friend. He's the mayor of Brooks, Alberta. He's the president of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. You heard Mayor Natchew uh, out of Sturgeon County uh, touch on a national energy corridor. And uh, that's what Mayor Barry Morishita wants to ask you about. Here he is. Thank you, Ryan. Minister, the uncertainty created by the lack of action by the federal government to support nation-building energy infrastructure projects has greatly and unnecessarily exacerbated the economic crisis in Alberta's resource communities. Now, that lack of action, coupled with a new federal impact assessment process that does not provide timely and clear approvals, has created a situation in which Albertans are quickly losing hope that the federal government will ever support a logical, considered approach to energy needs in Canada. Can you commit immediately to work with Indigenous groups, municipalities, and the provinces to establish national utility corridors and to amend the federal impact assessment legislation and allow the predictability and certainty necessary for Canada's energy future to be secured 
and Alberta's resource communities to survive. Minister? Oh, that is a long answer to a very complicated question. Um, but but let me, I'll, I'll be frank. We worked very hard uh, on, on a bill that I think has been mischaracterized, and I know it's a four-letter word, but you know, I don't say it lightly, but Bill C-69, right, which is now the Impact Assessment Act. What was happening before it wasn't working. When you don't consult with First Nations and Métis communities and you don't take the environment seriously, you end up in court all the time and stuff doesn't get built. So the whole point with 69, what is now the Impact Assessment Act, we've got a new Canada Energy Regulator, was on the, on, on the, at the front end, do the consultations well so that the courts are happy and satisfied. So you're treating First Nations and Métis communities and Inuit with dignity because, you know, often it is their land. And if you get that done at the outset, then you've got a clear path. And this time, let's have, you know, subscribe timelines to make sure that stuff gets built. Guess what? Stuff's getting built. TMX is being built. We believed in it to the point where we bought it. There are 7,000 people currently working on TMX. It is being built. I'm, I'm like blown away by how many tweets I get saying, you got to be building. You don't believe in TMX, not getting built. It is being built. I was there with Minister Savage for the first pipe being laid. You know, when she gave me my, you know, I love Canadian oil and gas mitts. I was there. I saw it. It is being laid. Line, line three, through a pandemic, permitted, built on the Canadian side. Nova Gas, right? The NGTL line, through a pandemic, we extended the consultations for First Nations. It is permitted. It is going to be built. We are getting stuff built in this country. But we got to make sure we do it right. And you cannot shirk away from your duty on any level of government to deal with Indigenous groups. So I'm really hoping that, you know, we got that process right. I know we have, to be honest with you. I shouldn't say hope. Uh, it's been tested. And the Federal Court of Appeal came out with unanimous decisions. Lord knows, you know, we had, to, we had to fight hard enough to get it right. And it took us a few tries. But finally, on TMX, we got it right. And the court came back and said, yeah, that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to enter into this in the spirit of accommodation. You're meant to take them seriously, these consultations with Indigenous communities. If you want to get stuff built, you got to. I mean, I know what I speak, right? I grew up in Labrador. I, I saw this stuff. Before I got into media, Ryan, I, I, I was negotiating at-table impact benefits agreements. You know, I did my, I did my studies in, in, in my master's in Indigenous participation in natural resource projects, right? Like, you got to get this stuff right or else stuff doesn't get built. So we've got that right. And the other thing I would say in terms of, you know, any, any, any allusion to, to a national, you got to deal with the provinces, I mean, that's the bottom line. I've learned that. Sonia's taught me that from day one, right? If you want to talk about energy, it's provincial jurisdiction. Um, so you've got to bring any province that is a lot, you know, that, that is affected by a national grid, that those provinces all have to come online. Uh, if you can do that, then things get built in terms of the east-west corridors. Um, but, and I believe that they can. But this process now, we sweat a lot of blood and treasure in order to get that process right. We lost seats in Alberta. I realize that. Um, at the end of the day, we are getting projects. We are getting projects built under this new process, and we're going to continue to. Um, this has been tested by the courts now, uh, and you know ultimately, you just this is the reality of the situation. I'm a practical guy. You grew up on an island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Trust me, you don't. Uh, you you can't afford ideology. I've never been able to afford that. You you look at the world, re, you know, realistically as it is. You deal with it. 
uh, Minister, we're we're past our time here, which which probably means more to you than it does to us because we're quite flexible and, and you're a federal cabinet minister. I don't know what your schedule looks like, so, so I'll wrap with this um, and I'll thank you. But I just with an observation that's that's hardly profound, but I think it's important. You know, yeah. you've, you've, you've you've described for us behind the scenes you, you, the relationship that you've shared with Alberta's energy minister in particular. I'll note I haven't heard you mention Premier Jason Kenney's name. You've talked a lot about energy minister Sonia Savage, uh, which which might make sense. But but I'm curious and I'm making the observation. Uh, you talk about C69 and the importance you've, you, you've set the spirit of the tone of of collaboration that exists. But we cannot ignore the fact that Alberta continues to spend millions and millions of dollars fighting BC, uh, C69 in court. Uh, the premier was talking about it uh, just last week. It's being described, as you know, by conservative opposition uh, MPs, Aaron O'Toole, uh, Andrew Shear before him, Jason Kenney, Scott Moe. Uh, take your pick as the No New Pipelines uh, Act or the No New Pipelines Law. It's being pipelines spun. Get pipelines get built. And it's just, I, I guess, and, and, and here's where I, I offer nothing profound, but still important is, is that, you know, Canadians and Albertans, have a difficult time determining what cooperation or collaboration looks like and may be led to believe that there's absolutely none of it. And maybe even malice from the federal government to the provincial government, depending on the politician you listen to. And I'm curious yeah. to hear you talk about the behind the scenes conversations and the work you do together. And then the very different perspectives on C69, where it doesn't seem like perspectives align provincially and federally whatsoever. We're in the middle of a pandemic and a massive energy transition and, in, and it was still reeling from an international price war on Canada's biggest export and biggest industry. So I don't have much time for the politics, to be honest with you. Maybe I should be doing more media. Uh, I try and do as much as I can. Uh, I'll definitely be coming back on this show, Ryan. Um, uh, we got a lot of work to do. And if we don't work together on this stuff, I'm telling you, you know, we are going to pay the price. So I don't know. I, I, it, it, well, I, I've often told people, uh, and when I first ran here, because coming from you know Canada AM and, and being a television journalist for 15 years, uh, I said I am not here for the show. I'm here for the work. Um, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm not here for the for the game of it. And I guess I should play more of the game. No, I'm here for the substance of it. Um, I, you know, working with Alberta and working with Saskatchewan and working with every energy and mining minister across the country is extremely important to me. That is how this country has been built. Um, so, you know, you just continue to do the work. If I can leave you and your listeners, uh, viewers with, with anything, whether you agree with me or not, I think it's important that people know that the wheels continue to turn in this country. Things are getting built and we are working together and it does not always make the news and it is not always sexy or beguiling, um, but it is real and, and, and that's important. And I think, you know, that is, is vitally important that people understand that. We are Thank building you. things in this country and it is extremely important we work together because we are about to, you know, go through this, this you know, I, I hate using the word transition. Uh, I hate, you know, I have to say it because that, you know, that's what people understand and know. Uh, I spend an awful lot of time talking to union leadership. There are a lot of people, workers out there in Alberta, Newfoundlanders who work in Alberta, Newfoundlanders who work in Newfoundland, in this sector, who are worried about their rent, their mortgage, their truck payments. They're, you know, they're worried about, and you say transition on top of the pandemic, they're like, you know what, I got enough to deal with. But it is real. Um, and, you know, I remember saying to Sonia a year ago, um, after BlackRock made, you know, its decision to divest from the oil sands, and, and that was just the beginning of it. Uh, I said, you know, I understand there are some people in the United Conservative Party who believe in the free market. 
Well, the market is moving. Now, you don't have to take the federal government on this. You don't have to, you know, acknowledge environmentalists. I don't care. The money is moving. It is moving and it doesn't care. So if we don't address that, it is significant, not just for Alberta, but for this whole country, right? I mean, it is our number one export. It drives, natural resources drive this country and it particularly oil. And I have a heck of a time, let me tell you, telling the rest of the country that. I have proximity to this industry. When I look out my office window, if I walk five minutes down the road from my house, I see the supply vessels that head out to the, to the oil rigs off our shore, 300 kilometers off our shore, right? I see it every day. Uh, if you're in Toronto, if you're in Vancouver, if you're in, in, uh, in Montreal, you don't see it. So it's, it's, it's hard for me uh, to, 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 to say to other ministers or to say to MPs, you know, just how close this is to us. When I talk to people from Alberta, it's much easier because they, they obviously get it. Here in Newfoundland, we get it. It's how we identify ourselves now. You know, it's, it's psychological as well as economic. This is our identity. You know, Albertans identify with the oil industry as what they do and who they are. And surprisingly, in the course of a generation, so do Newfoundlanders, uh, both because of the work we do in Alberta and the work we do here. There's an emotion that, that, that you know, and a pride that, that comes to bear here. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's also the pride and the emotion that drives me. You know, we've managed to take oil out of sand and become the fourth biggest producers of oil in the world. When I sit here in front of a Zoom call and do the International Energy Agency or the G20 or whatever, you know, you know, we're all used to gallery view and you wonder which page you make. I'm always like top tier, number one, not because I have good lighting line, but because I'm an energy minister from the fourth biggest producer of oil in the world. Right. And it really sinks in that. Um, but what also sinks in is the significant challenge ahead of us. The good news is if you've proven that you can get oil out of sand or in Newfoundland's case, as the president of ExxonMobil Canada has told me, that there's no harsher environment that ExxonMobil works in, in the world than the offshore of Newfoundland. And yet here we are producing low emission oil, I think is a very bright future ahead of it. If we can do that, we can meet the challenge of net zero. I'm convinced of it. And, and you know, let me be clear, we are going to be making investments across the board. And as, as the energy minister, I know you've had him on, Jonathan Wilkinson has said, you know, we work together hand in glove too. Uh, you know, Jonathan's been very clear. We don't care about the source of emissions. We don't care about where it comes from. We are not going to vilify any industry. We are going to lower emissions across the board. That's what we got to do. That is our challenge. And he has taken a lot of flack from environmentalist groups because, uh, you know, he is willing to make the investments in the oil and gas industry in this country in order to lower emissions. We have there, we have here, and we will continue to on a very ambitious scale. We make no apologies for it. This is all about lowering emissions. I always say our mission is threefold. Lowering emissions, making sure that the economy continues to grow and prosper. And thirdly, and I'm very happy that the new administration is aligned on this, no one's left behind. And when I say that, I mean energy workers, and I mean energy producing in provinces and regions like mine, like yours. We will not be left behind. We will be part of the solution. We appreciate your availability. Appreciate your candor. Appreciate you sticking into overtime and, and your advocacy for Alberta minister. I know that there's going to be a lot of interest in this podcast. The minute, the minute that it hits the servers uh, this afternoon, thanks for joining us live on this Friday morning. We wish you well. And you good weekend to you. Yeah, you got it. That's uh, Canada's minister of natural resources, uh, Seamus O'Regan. Uh, former minister. I mean, the guy's uh, held a number of portfolios as well, by the way, that, that fuel his perspective, I'm sure, to a certain degree, uh, including Minister of Indigenous Services, Minister of Veterans Affairs, 
And did you know, like back in the day, he served as an assistant, as a matter of fact, to environment, Mr. Jean Charest. So he's had a lot on his radar over the years. Of, and of course, the celebrated host of Canada AM for many years, a national news correspondent for, for Canada AM. We're going to be talking about the Alberta budget. Uh, Sam, obviously, will blow through the newscast. Uh, everybody knows what's going on right now. These, I mean, we're covering the stories that are leading the headlines right now. Um, and we're going to get into it with a, with a Friday roundtable that's going to be actually kind of split into two. Uh, we're going to talk to Melissa Cowett and Dr. Child Mensa in just a moment. Then we're going to talk to uh, Stephen Anderson and Kathleen Smith. It's 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 just technical challenges that preclude us from having all four of them together. So we'll split it up. That's no big deal. It means that they can wax poetic as much as they like while they have our attention. In the meantime, let us remind you that the team at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are ready for you this weekend. If your family's going to take some time off away from the kitchen, you want to give yourself a break from meal prep. Why not throw your business in the direction of those that are supporting real talk that includes the six locations in sherwood park and northwest edmonton dairy queen is locally owned giving a ton of support to local charities when they need it most through this year and we're thankful to mark and and to uh, michael and their teams that support real talk and have since we launched out of the gates also wanted to remind you that the team at Eden Landscaping is ready to help you realize your dream. This is a perfect year to transform your space. Let's be honest, you're not taking the family probably to Disneyland or to Europe this year. You might not even be taking them to Kamloops. Why not take that money and why not put it into improving your space? Whether it's an outdoor swim spa, an outdoor kitchen, or maybe just some planters in the front. The team at landscapeedmonton.ca, that's Eden Landscaping, can give you a hand and they'd love to hear from you right now. You can just follow the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. All right, let's roll in hot into this interview. We're grateful that these two have made time for us uh, this morning. I've, I've had an opportunity to get to know both of them over a number of years, and I really appreciate the perspectives that they bring to thoughtful political analysis. Melissa Cowett is vice president of government relations. I've just seen uh, I don't know. You call it a blouse or is that a scarf? I've just seen it. I'm just seeing it right now for the first time. And that is like one of the coolest things I've ever seen, Melissa. I wore my skull shirt yesterday on the air. Uh, I love that. Um, I'll give you your proper introduction in just a second. But I'm, I'm, I'm taking it back right now. I'm totally impressed. Is there an editorial bend to what you're wearing today? Are you sending a message with that? There actually isn't. I just love this scarf. But then I was getting dressed and I was like, it's got skulls on it. This might be misconstrued, but no, it's just a happy coincidence. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, like I said, I wore my skull shirt yesterday and, and that was budget day. And after the fact, I too wondered, was I inadvertently sending a message? I didn't mean to. Uh, Melissa's VP of government relations and business development with the Canadian strategy group, a conservative political strategist and a GR professional. She's been involved in politics in Western Canada for nearly a decade. And, and this is a, a real thrill for me uh, to welcome to the program for the first time, Dr. Chaldean Mensa. Uh, Dr. Mensa and I go way back. We've back been talking back. politics for more than a decade. Yeah. He's a faculty member in the Department of Anthropology, Economics, and Political Science uh, at Edmonton's McEwen University. Dr. Mensa, welcome to the show. Good, good to talk to you again. We go, we go back a long ways from this is a break, breakfast club. That's right. Yes, yeah, that's go. right. <laughs> we, we were members of the Breakfast Club on Breakfast yeah. Television, 100%. Well, listen, I want to give uh, the two of you the sure. most talk time that I possibly can. Uh, Dr. Mensa, let's start in broad strokes. Uh, obviously, people knew that this was going to be a tough budget. Doesn't matter who you voted for. Doesn't matter what you do for work or whether you're retired or not working. We knew that we were going to have to brace ourselves for this one. Uh, did you see what you expected to see yesterday afternoon from the finance minister? No, I think the the... Budget actually 
uh, is is really a departure from what we expected this government to 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 come up with, because they signaled at the beginning of their mandate that they were going to reduce uh, the the deficit by the end of the mandate to to eliminate the deficit, uh, but of course something happened in between called a pandemic, <laughs> you know, so uh, this budget here doesn't come up with an austerity measure. It's not an austerity budget. It also doesn't follow the example of other jurisdictions trying to stimulate massively the economy. Uh, so it's kind of in between. Uh, there are pockets of austerity, uh, particularly the public service, the way the public service uh, is going to be handled. Uh, post-secondary took a bit of a hit, uh, but there are also pockets of strategic investment, uh, helping small businesses, uh, improving the capital plan, and helping some of the uh, specific sectors. You know, so overall, I think the budget is a, a placeholder budget, uh, preparing for economic growth. Uh, but the deficit agenda of the first mandate is out of the window. Uh, and I think we're going to have deficits uh, after the completion of this current, current government's mandate. Uh, Melissa, like I said, though, and, and I think that Dr. Mentz is accurate in that, but but what did people expect? I think if, if this government would have endeavored to to balance a budget or to, to roll out a budget with a four or five billion dollar deficit, it would have been absolutely devastating for the electorate. So let's not maybe look at what they did with the budget, but what message are they sending here? And do you think it's effective? I think it absolutely is effective. I, for one, as a conservative um, Albertan and somebody who's been involved with the party for a long time, I'm actually quite glad that they took the route they did, you know, an $18.2 billion deficit this year, which these are massive numbers that we're talking about, but it's not the fiscal reckoning they had talked about last year and it shouldn't have been. And so I think that they, they did the right thing by spending where it mattered. Um, clearly this was not the time for, for cuts. The pandemic, as Dr. Menson noted, changed everything and the government adapted in response to that change. And so I think that, you know, they, they've been having some tough political um, issues at the beginning of this year. And I think this is sort of an olive branch as well to the electorate um, and, and a way to build back trust as well, um, you know, particularly where it comes to where the government's spending their money, um, how they look at what's best for Albertans. And so I think all in all, um, it was um, it was a balanced approach to what to what needed to be happened. I've seen some some criticism recurring. Um, Dr. Mensa that, you know, I mean, sort of the general theme of it is that the provincial government maybe didn't address the revenue side of the equation as much as people would have liked. I mean, that's kind of been a consistent tone throughout. If I look back even to the blue ribbon panel, I know a lot of people, I mean, government can do whatever it wants in establishing a panel or a committee, an exploratory committee. But a lot of people said, why aren't we looking at, at revenues and expenditures? Uh, what's your take on, on whether or not this budget hits or misses the mark there? Well, I think they foreclosed any discussion on, on revenue for this particular budget. But I, I, I see that the door has been open ajar a bit. The government is uh, hoping to come up with a panel in the future to talk about the revenue question, uh, hopefully a discussion on provincial sales tax. But for this particular budget, uh, there are a bit of green, sh green shoots uh, on the revenue side uh, because oil prices have really improved dramatically 
from the death of the pandemic, right? We've seen WTI uh, hitting above $62, and the budget is providing for $47 as the benchmark WTI. So they're way above uh, the projections for this particular budget. So the, the revenue will roll in, but again, you know, oil prices are very volatile. Um, in uh, the corporate side, corporate taxes, uh, they, they, they're still on that trajectory of reducing taxes for the corporate sector. Um, but I think they're hoping that with the improved economy, there'll be more people paying income tax and that will have hopefully improve the revenue picture for the province. Uh, but overall, I think the big issue, um, Ryan, is that there has to be a discussion in this province about how we, we, we improve our dependence on oil and gas. And I think this a panel coming up uh, has to open the discussion around a provincial sales tax. Yeah, Melissa, you're I mean, you're, you're an expert in, in GR and government relations. So so to boil it down and at risk of oversimplifying what you do, uh, you instruct people and assist people in telling their message to government and ultimately in trying to get what they're looking for, what they think would benefit their industry or what would allow them to succeed as a business. Now, when you deal with government, obviously you deal with ideology, regardless of who the government is. Do you think that the ideology of this government is getting in the way of revenue conversation? I look at two examples and we could come up with many more. Number one, uh, keeping the corporate tax rate as low as it is. A lot of people have argued that you could put it back up, let's say, a couple of points to 10 percent, for example, and still retain the corporations. We've had the benefit of time to look back and note whether or not this tax cut that the UCP implemented uh, has proven to be effective albeit under remarkable circumstances. And then as Dr. Mensa touched on as well, a provincial sales tax, this government to this point has zero appetite for it. Jason Kenney says the last thing he's going to do is, is introduce another tax in the middle of a, of a recession, of an economic downturn. I talked to Shannon Phillips, NDP finance critic yesterday. They don't even have an appetite, I think, because they're trying to win the next election. They yeah. won't even talk about a provincial yeah. sales tax. That's is right. ideology getting in the way of a meaningful conversation on revenue in Alberta, do you think, Melissa? I think when you talk about ideology, what we're really talking about, <clears throat> pardon me, is the underlying belief of what's going to grow and stimulate the economy. And I think the UCP's belief, and they've um, demonstrated this as much as they can over their mandate, is that individuals are the best, make the best choices with their own finances. When we empower business to do well, there are widespread um, trickle down effects throughout the economy. Um, and so I think if we're talking about ideology, um, then yes, I think that the UCP's ideology is to keep keep taxes low um, at a time where people really can't afford to be spending more. You have people um, that have obviously done really well throughout the pandemic who are able to work from home, who have flexibility in their work, but there are a lot of people who are barely getting by. Um, a lot of those are young people. A lot of those are women, young families who um, might work in uh, sectors that have been affected by public health measures. And so um, if ideology is let's keep more of Albertans money in their pocket right now and not look to raise taxes, then yeah, I think ideology is getting in the way of having different conversations. But I also don't think it's the right time for some of those other conversations. 
Yeah, I know you're just trying to you're, you're trying to cause a tidal wave through our audience right now by referencing trickle down economics. Every time I see somebody reference trickle down economics, I go straight to the comments section. I go, oh, boy, here we go. Let's just say there are differing opinions on whether or not that's actually a thing. Uh, Dr. Mensa, how do you I mean, if you're if you're a public sector worker, if you're a teacher, I mean, technically you are a prof- professor, but hi- hypothetically, if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, uh, if you're a public sector worker, especially one whose contract is up for renegotiation, uh, what are you making of what you saw yesterday? What are public sector workers thinking this morning? Yeah, I think there are pockets of uh, austerity, pockets of retrenchment in this budget. And I think the public sector uh, is going to be hit hard. Uh, projections are we're going to have uh, over a thousand, thousand, probably around a thousand jobs lost in the public sector. Uh, I think this is going to create an antagonistic relationship between the government and the unions. Uh, so for, for nurses, teachers, other workers in the, in the, in the public sector, uh, this budget is going to be very tough on them uh, because of the, uh, they're going to be rest- there's restraint on public sector compensation. Uh, so uh, going up for negotiations, uh, people are going to get hit. Uh, because the normal expectation in this province that uh, wages are going to keep up with inflation and population growth, it's not going to happen. Uh, people are going to see a bit of, of reduction and positions are going to be lost. So for the public sector, this budget is bad news. you know. And I think it's in, in keeping with uh, Jason Kenney's government's uh, effort to follow the prescriptions of, of the uh, McKinnon report to make our better public sector wages comparable to other jurisdictions across Canada. So this is the trend that we are in right now. M- Melissa, you're I, I mean, uh, this, you know, to tee up as Dr. Mensa has these public sector negotiations, um, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, and I don't mean to treat that as though it's spectator sport, because Obviously, the government has an important job to do. And obviously, we're talking about tens or hundreds of thousands of people here. Uh, I think we'll all acknowledge that these are going to be remarkable negotiations in the sense that these are are very unique times. Um, I know that the public sector is coming forward with a couple of key points. Number one, depending on who we're talking about, many will say we've not seen increases over a number of years. Uh, We've not been keeping up with inflation already. And they're right. Number two, they're going to say when Alberta needed us most in the middle of a pandemic, whether it's a nurse or a teacher or someone else, there we were on the front lines. How can you cut our wage? And they'll be able to make that emotional plea and it'll be an effective argument, I think, with regards to public messaging. On the flip side, the government's going to essentially say, what do you want us to do? I mean, you know, you've been the highest paid in Canada, you know, cost of living relevant or not. The fact of the matter is. We've got to make some difficult decisions. We promised Albertans we'd make those difficult decisions, and they gave us a mandate to govern. What are you expecting to see? So I think the government is absolutely right to look at public sector compensation. Um, But when they look at public sector compensation, I think they also need to look at, um, much like the AHS report did, the inner workings of the government as well. And and let's be clear as well, when we talk about public sector compensation, we can be talking about a number of different groups. We can be talking about teachers. We can be talking about nurses. We can be talking about people within the GOA bureaucracy. So there's a number of different groups. And I think that the government needs to obviously be careful um, 
based on which groups they're speaking to. I certainly wouldn't suggest that um, the government goes to teachers and nurses and proposes massive cuts because to your point, those people have really been here for Albertans throughout the pandemic. But if you talk to anybody really within um, the GOA, um, whether they benefit from it or not, a lot of people can recognize that there is waste and there is efficiencies that can be found. And I don't think that finding those efficiencies means that we need to like take massive cuts to the bureaucracy. But I think that, you know, when we look at per capita spending it across other provinces, Alberta's is significantly higher. And we're getting to a point right now where we can't support that with um, with oil revenues. It's not it's not sustainable anymore. So so we have to make a choice. Do we want increased tax? Or do we want to try and um, go for better outcomes um, while adjusting our spending? And so I think, um, you know, and, and one point I would like to also bring up um, within the context of these discussions is that um, opposition and people who are really critical of this government, which they have the right to be and they should be, that holds our, our democracy into account, um, tend to sort of spin some of what's happening. You know, back last year, there was talk of 11,000 jobs being cut from AHS. Okay, yes, maybe they are not going to be AHS taxpayer funded jobs anymore, but those jobs aren't going away. And so I think when we move to be more efficient with some of these um, public sector positions, for example, laundry services going to the private sector versus being in-house in the public sector, we have to be careful that we're not talking about a loss of jobs. It's just a change in employer, which um, which sometimes gets lost in the message and makes the government look like they're being a little bit less compassionate than they are. And, and, and geez, I mean, we could do an entire hours round table just on that because people will quite rightfully point out that if you're leaving a government job uh, to, to do the same work for a, for a privately owned company, you're probably going to be taking a wage cut. You may be losing some benefits. There's probably going to be a difference in where the cash flow is going. And, and, and again, I think there's room for those types of conversations. Certainly on the flip side, I've seen people simply ask, why should the government be in the laundry business? Uh, and I'm not sure that I can come up with a good answer to that question. So I want to I want to see that one um, from, from I want to have a, a sort of a, a an all hands on deck conversation about those types of things and not dismiss one perspective nor the other. Uh, let me ask both of you this, because I think really this is one, where one of our, our key focuses need to be. We've seen some people say, well, look at this, this budget. It's you know debt. It's going to take us to here and all this debt and spend. And I sort of sit there and going, OK, well, I mean, what were you hoping for? Uh, if, if people are going to say this, you know, if people don't want to talk about racking up debt, then you better then you're going to be talking about cutting spending and then you're going to be lighting your hair about that. So I, I want to be able to focus on something here that can give people some reason for optimism, that can give people something to, to look toward and investigate with with, with, the, with the spirit of of how do we move forward out of these unprecedented challenges, the drop in in oil prices, the, the global economy, the pandemic. So what does Alberta's recovery look like? Dr. Mensa, Albertans want to want to feel that they can trust the government that has laid out a, a well-intentioned, well-informed plan that 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 well that indicates that the province is on the right track, and not just in the context of what we believe as Albertans, but where the globe is going when it comes to industries that are emerging and where investments are going. Mm -hmm. How does this budget do on that front? I think the uh, government has to listen more to the people of Alberta, uh, listening to small businesses and their needs, listen to uh, the rural folks, listen to municipalities. The budget, I think, 
is focusing on the theme of improving livelihoods and lives, I think that is a good place to start. And they've made some strategic investments to help new areas of the economy so that we become a more diversified economy. That is a good plan. But I, I, I'm worried that in doing so, uh, one of the areas that they hit affects young people. I think young people are our future. And therefore, when you target post-secondary education, I think that really sends a very, very uh, dire message in terms of uh, uh, preparing for a post-pandemic economy. So if I, my advice to the government is they need to recalibrate, uh, protect the frontline workers who've been with us, whether, whether they're in the public sector or elsewhere, uh, nurses, teachers ought to be protected. They've done a great job for this province in this pandemic. And also listen more to people on the ground, uh, the needs of small businesses, uh, these new sectors that we need to help, help us uh, diversify the economy more. And finally, uh, Ryan, we need to have that adult conversation put this to Albertans. Do we need to improve our revenue picture? I think Albertans will make that decision. You know, let's put it out there in a referendum for people to determine whether uh, there needs to be a provincial sales tax to help us overcome some of these ups and downs in our revenue situation. Uh, and I think Albertans will make a wise choice if given that opportunity. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not laughing because it's funny, because it's not funny. But both of you know, and the thousands of people that listen to this podcast are going to know that in Alberta, the tone right now is, do we like to see definite, deficit spending? No. Are we comfortable with debt? No. Do we want cuts? No. Do we want a sales tax? No. Well, what's the plan? We don't want cuts. We don't want new taxes. We're not exploring, or maybe not in meaningful fashion, new sources of revenue. It, it drives me up the wall. Melissa, let me ask you to answer the same question. The path toward post-pandemic recovery. Does the government roll out a plan, did it yesterday, that should instill confidence in Albertans? I think the government is taking some good steps. So um, Minister Schweitzer and his team have been working on sector specific strategies um, to further that diversification agenda. You know, we talk about technology. Um, yesterday during the premier's uh, town hall, Minister Schweitzer was talking a lot about hydrogen. Um, there's lots of opportunities to diversify and the government is looking at all of those things and they'll be working with stakeholders um, to consult on how best to do that. So I think that's a really good place to start talking to um, talking to stakeholders, talking to the sector about what works, um, because government is not the best arbitrator of some of these decisions. It's um, it's business and the public who are. Um, but I think also, you know, when we talk about um, when we talk about the debt, and I want to just touch on this. You mentioned Ryan. You know, Albertans don't like debt. They don't like new taxes. You know, we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too in a lot of ways. Um, keeping debt at a manageable level meaning less than 30% of, uh, of GDP, debt to GDP ratio, is going to be key for this government because they can't grow the economy without investing in it as well. Um, and Albertans, I think, are really averse to wanting the government to invest in certain industries and, and do what I think a lot of people see as picking winners and losers. But I think in the economy that we have right now and in the times that we're in, government really needs to step up and be involved in the economy. And I think they have. 
But the reality is the government can make as many plans as they want and have as many sector strategies as they want and project a plan to balance as much as they want. But what we need is for the economy to open back up and to get vaccines to uh, to Albertans and to Canadians. And, and before that happens, there's very limited amounts that the government could do. And I would say this if it was an NDP government as well, you know, you can have the best policy and the most creative ideas, but until our economy is back functioning in the way um, that it is meant to, it's going to be incremental gains at best. So we really do need those vaccines to see um, to see the benefits of the, the plans and the investments the government's making. Uh, that's Melissa Cowett. She's a conservative strategist and expert in government relations at Canadian Strategy Group, where she's a vice president. Dr. Chaldine Mensa uh, out of uh, McEwen University, uh, a professor and celebrated faculty member there. Thank you to the both of you for, for sharing your perspectives on this the day after the Alberta budget. It's nice to see you here on the show. Thank you very Thank much, you. Ryan. All the best to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you. Uh, our thanks to those two. Uh, the intrepid Uncle Sam, our technical producer, will now uh, roll in our, our next uh, two panelists here as we continue our Friday roundtable conversation. It's kind of neat this week because I'm coming to you from home. We've been able to see what goes on typically behind the scenes off camera as we see Sam moving and shuffling things around. We'll get to our next two panelists in just a moment. Uh, on our uh, live chat, Don says maybe we need to look at income tax, you know, comparing Alberta to all of the provinces, creating an average. You know, a progressive rate of income tax based on statistics found across the country. Um, James says, Jespo, it's not the laundry business. It's the hospital upkeep business. And that's something that governments absolutely should be in. You know, proper patient outcomes matter and hospitals with private services are dirtier. That from James. I mean, that sounds like a bit of a hospitals with private services are dirtier. I don't know. Like, is there data on that? Is there research on that? I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I know I'm going to make some of your heads explode. I try to approach issues. I try to meet in the middle on some issues. I can see our next panelists are already giggling. I, I Kiki planet is like chomping at the bit, ready to go. She's going to have to wait. I still have spots to read Kiki. You got to, you got to wait. You got to hang tight. And now I'm about to wax poetic about private and public. And Oh, this is take hours. There's actually a great email coming up in trash talk. Uh, maybe about 40 minutes from now about a comment that I made about the private sector bailing out the public sector. I was kidding, but, but a listener didn't see it that way. And she goes off on me and it's a great email. So I'm reading it. Um, I'm not sure that the government needs to employ laundry workers. I'm not sure that that makes sense. Uh, maybe you could make a compelling argument for it. Maybe our next panelist will. We'll get to that in just a second. BV says, if you think privatizing healthcare is a good idea, just look at continuing care homes through the pandemic. It's been a nightmare. That from BV. There are some jurisdictions where you could draw that conclusion. Ontario ha has been a disaster. Uh, Alberta has seen some issues. The, I, I think of the McKenzie Town Long-Term Care Center down in Calgary as an example, a horrific uh, outbreak down there that, that claimed many lives. Um, we've also talked to private long-term care operators here on the show. Uh, I think Don Harsh, we talked to just a few weeks ago, and, and I know that they're very proud of how they've managed it. So, hey, put it this way. All I'm saying is that Real Talk is going to provide a landscape where different ideas can be explored. Uh, that's all I'm saying. I did. I couldn't help myself. I giggled. And I just when Melissa Cowett mentioned trickle down economics, I did have to drop into the live chat just for a second to watch the forest fire. And uh, if you've ever seen if you've ever seen like a Christmas tree, the fire departments always release these videos, usually around the middle of January when everyone's trees are drying up. 
you know, and they show what happens when a candle hits an evergreen tree and, and how quickly it just goes. Woof, and then the whole room's on fire. That's kind of what happened in the live chat when Melissa talked about trickle down economics. Lots of room for 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 hey, sorting things out and, and for chewing on issues here on Real Talk. It's what we're all about. And we're grateful that our partners and our Real Talk builders allow that to happen each and every day. That includes the team at Westworld Computers. For more than 40 years, they've been helping Albertans and Western Canadians find solutions to imp- implementing and infusing technology in their lives. That includes our show. It's how we're able to do the show here from two different locations because we have the computing horsepower we need. Uh, whether it's a, an iPhone or whether it's a watch, whether it's an iPad or a big iMac that you're looking for, Daryl and his team have the, the gently pre-owned uh, software reloaded and re-warrantied units for you, or of course the brand new lineup. You can go see them there on Mayfield Road. The team at Friesen Brothers, very excited to be opening their brand new location. It's their 15th Alberta location, just off the Anthony Henday. Friesen Brothers has been a proud supporter of Alberta producers for more than 60 years. And this store is going to blow your mind. Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Park Power knows that you're going to be taking your business for electricity, internet, and natural gas somewhere. Why not take it to them? They're extending the olive branch. They want to give you a good offer. 2021-REALTALK is the promo code you enter at parkpower.ca. If you want to save $70 on your first bill, again, that's at parkpower.ca. They're powering our hashtag, RealTalkRJ. That's the hashtag we keep an eye on uh, when we're on the air. And we appreciate all of your comments here. I'm always scanning the hashtag as we're doing these interviews. Uh, Eve O Destruction. That's a great Twitter handle. Eve O Destruction to Real Talk RJ says, regardless of politicians' aversion to a sales tax because they want to get or stay elected, my message to them is simple tax me that from eve o destruction it's prompted a big nod from one of our next panelists she is a kathleen smith an edmonton based social media personality a political commentator she's the co-host of a podcast that i subscribe to i encourage you to do the exact same thing it's the women of ab Polly, uh, the women in alberta politics podcast you probably know her as kiki planet kathleen smith making a real talk debut it's good to have you here on the show thanks for making time for us I think we got you on on mute, my friend. Take yourself off mute so we can hear your fabulous and important voice. We'll get you covered. Are you there? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Good morning. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Uh, Let me introduce your your co-pilot through this this next little bit. Uh, Steven Anderson, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I can say one of our most watched guests here in, in the short uh, but storied history of real talk. Last time he was here, his his beard was 18 inches longer. Uh, but it, it but it wound up being one of the most watched interviews we've ever done. Uh, to remind you, Stephen is a fourth generation Alberta millwright, an industrial mechanic uh, who now, as you can see by the sign that remains on his wall, I believe if I remember correctly, it says "I love public education." Uh, Stephen now is uh, serving Albertans as a teacher. Uh, what does your hoodie say? The future is uh, is in our classrooms. Okay, good stuff. Red for Ed Alberta. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. You banged down our door. You you almost you almost kicked in the door of Real Talk. Uh, you you said I need to get back on Friday's show. You said I've got a lot to say about this Alberta budget. What do you have to say? Why are you here? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Good morning. I can hear you perfectly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Kathleen. Um, 
now that I've got the pleasantries out of the way, I am angry. <laughs> angry and I'm fired up. Although, to be honest, I'm not that surprised. Actually, I might be a little, little, uh, I, I th might have thought it would have been worse. I mean, nothing surprised me with these this UCP government anymore, but... Uh, well, yeah, so hang on a second. So, so, let, so let me ask you, because a lot of people are going to say, hang on, what are, what, what are teachers... What, what, are, what, are, what, are, what are people going to be bitching about today? Because actually, this could have been way worse yesterday. So how are you... Why are you so mad? Well, I'm, I'm mad. Well, I mean, really, let's... What I'm most mad is what's been going on for months or over a year. Uh, longer than that is really our revenue problem. It's, it's the problem. It's not the... It's not the uh, it's not the expenditure problem. That's not the problem. The problem is the revenue problem. The problem is giving away money to oil and gas, throwing it away, but building pipelines to nowhere, having to dig them out, right? Sell them for $10 a, a, a yard. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, the, 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 the deficit is not from paying for teachers and nurses and doctors. The deficit's from pissing money away on useless, idiotic investments, Actually, I wouldn't even call them. I wouldn't even call them investments. I don't. I, I mean, the president of the United States says, "You know what? I get elected. I'm not going to build the pipeline." What do they do? Hey, let's spend a couple billion dollars. Let's give a few more billion dollars in um, in uh, in loans. Sure, why not? We know it's not going to get built, but we, well, we promised pipelines. Well, I was expecting a working pipeline, not one that ended and had to be pulled back out of the ground. I don't know. I don't know if the government knew that the pipeline was going to get canceled and still threw money at it. If um, they didn't, but they I, were foolish. Well, so Kiki, so let me say this, uh, if I may call you Kiki. Yes, um, it, it, it's how I've addressed you for 15 years. Um, <laughs> if it wasn't, uh, and look at this, we're already off Alberta budget talk, but it, but it all plays in um, and we've got lots of time. So if, if it wasn't, um, the assumption that Biden was going to win, the Democrats were going to win. And, and, and if it was, it was, if it was a bold prediction that he would still allow Keystone XL to move forward, that's one thing. But if it wasn't that, then it was a bet that Trump was going to win, which I think sends an entirely different message. It was, it was a wager on a Trump white house, right? I mean, is it, aren't those the only two options? No, there's also the fact that uh, Kenny and this government ignored how many ongoing legal challenges there were and still are to this pipeline from the beginning. Trump could say, tell he was orange in the face that the pipeline was going to get built. It was not going to get built because of the various legal challenges. So it's not just that uh, Kenny and company threw money at a project that the projected winner had already said was not going to happen. It's that they threw money at a project that was so tied up in the courts, even if the projected winner hadn't won, the project was still not going to happen. That's an incredibly foolish financial decision. And for me, the, the problems that I see with the budget that was given to us yesterday are a little bit closer to home and they really shine a light on the, the hypocrisy and the dichotomy of this government. You know, as I'm sure you're aware, mental health initiatives are very important to me. Properly funding mental health in this province is very important to me. For a year, this government has used mental health and the opioid crisis as excuse to not bring in effective public health measures to prevent the spread of COVID. They have 
falsely inflated uh, suicide numbers in our province. When we look at the actual data, suicides were actually down last year as a cover for why they won't bring in a mask mandate, why they wouldn't shut down earlier, why they're packing our kids back into schools. Where was the funding yesterday? For a year, we've heard this rhetoric. There's no funding for mental health health initiatives. We know that COVID unfortunately puts women further back than it does men, and especially minority women. Why? Because jobs that are most affected by this pandemic are usually filled with women and minorities. Where was the funding for daycare to ensure we can get those people back to work? Where is the the funding we need to ensure dignity for Albertans during the coming economic crisis? Because it's fine, we've got vaccines. There is a huge economic crisis in front of us and this government is doing nothing to protect it. Trickle down economics is a myth and no one has proven that better than this UCP government because every time they throw money at big corporations, the big corporations get the hell out. That's our money. That's our money. I want the money that we work for to go to teachers, to go to public health, to go to ensuring there's resources for the opioid crisis, for homelessness, for women to get back into the day, the workforce, for daycare. And they're not doing that. They are repeating the pattern we've seen conservatives do time and time again, where they rely on mythology to revive an economy. It's not going to work this time. We are in unprecedented times. We need unprecedented thinking. And this government isn't capable of giving it to us. Stephen, there's what the budget says uh, with regards to the, you know, the balance sheet and what the numbers on the page say. There's what the budget indicates. And, and, and I talked to our previous two panelists about the impending labor negotiations uh, that are set to unfold. And they'll be, quite frankly, one of the political stories of the year, obviously, in Alberta. And, and we'll see. Um, how the public sector responds to this. We'll see the line that the government draws in the sand. I mean, if I'm a government negotiator, I come to this and I say we're starting at 0% increase and then we'll negotiate from there. But the government's probably going to, I would imagine, uh, try to shave a little bit of off those paychecks. And I know that the public sector workers are going to come forward. And as I said earlier, say we haven't seen increases in years in some circumstances and we've been here through the pandemic. So show us the money. I, I think that it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think it's going to be a disturbing exercise for Albertans that may to a certain degree be be influenced, not that we will, but we may be influenced to choose. Are we on the private sector side or are we on the public sector side? Now, the last time you and I spoke, we touched on this. What did you see with regards to the communication of this budget yesterday, Stephen? Well, I... Um, it's, one of, it's one of the things that really, really grinds my gears, Ryan. I am so pissed at this public versus private debate. Okay, we are one. I, I, you know, I attended Nate. I attended the University of Alberta. I went to public education I, 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 throughout all my school, right? I got, went back at a huge wage cut to go and teach the children of tomorrow, our future for, uh, of tomorrow, right? And I did that. Uh, that is linked to the economy. That is public education, post-secondary education is a key factor. In fact, the most important factor to uh, providing an economic prosperity. And not only that, 
uh, helping every one of those individual children live the life that they best can. And I, this, this, you know, public versus private. Well, no, it, it's both. We're Albertans. We need both. We need healthcare. We need education. Yes, we do need private industry, but we also, you know, when I, we look at the $4.7 billion tax cut, right? Blanket. Everybody thinks, oh, it's oil and gas. It's not oil and gas. It's not just oil and gas. Walmart, Home Depot, every massive corporation, got, we, we gave them our money. We stole it from our children, right? You look at this government who cut funding to kindergarten students with special needs. Oh, I, you know, it, it shows you who they are. I, when Kathleen was mentioning, you know, this is what conservatives do. I wouldn't call this government conservative. It's way worse than that way worse because they're not fiscally conservative they piss our money on corporate welfare that gets us nowhere so, there, there's well yeah kathleen go ahead and respond there yeah you know i'm my biggest concern with this budget the uh 30 pages of oil and gas propaganda notwithstanding is that this is a budget that chases an entire generation of our young people out of this province and that's heartbreaking to me. And it chases them out before they even get to post-secondary education. You know, it, our UCP government likes to engage in what I call debt fetishism, where it's all about the debt. How dare we leave debt for our children? We're robbing our children of public education, specifically post-secondary education. We have a government that really doesn't mind strapping young people with tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student debt while they tell us that provincial debt is a bad thing. I, I, I'm frustrated with using our children as a means to keep uh, bankrupting our, our social services and then doing nothing for our children right now. We have a government that's fine with leaving our kids with untenable planet, loads of student debt, no true resources anymore because they've put so much into ONG that we don't know where, what we're going to do for our future, but then they howl about leaving debt for our children. We've got to take care of things now. We've got to find a way to keep our young people in this province, to keep our doctors and nurses and, and teachers in this province. And I don't think people are, are fully grasping the seriousness of a budget that doesn't take into account the future of Alberta. This is a great piece of propaganda for pandering to the base. It really is. It's great for people who live in small towns, who don't have to rely on transit, who don't have to worry about a government that is cutting safe consumption sites, but then won't put more money into dealing with the opioid crisis, who, who don't have to worry about how their municipality is going to pay for snow removal and policing and homelessness. If this budget is so fantastic, why is the UCP lying about the major points of it. Why are they continuing to say this isn't a cut? Of course it's a cut. When you don't increase spending while your population is expanding, while you have more people in need because of this pandemic crisis, 
that's a cut. If I give my kid 12 apples and say, go share these apples with 11 of your friends. And then the next day, 12 more friends show up and I say, go share these same 12 apples with 24 of your friends. That is a cut. And this government uses language to hide their cuts, but then they tell us how great their budget is and the prosperity it will bring. We have a revenue problem in Alberta. We need to figure that out. And as far as I'm concerned, Albertans are going to have to bite the bullet and get over their entitlement and start paying the same kind of taxes that the rest of this country is paying. That was uh, Kiki Planet's look in the mirror moments. Mark your calendars, February 26, 2021. You're not wrong. And 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 I and I would uh, I would argue that Alberta had and I don't even know if I like to to use the word problem, um, but uh, but I'll invoke it. I think we do have a revenue problem. I also think we have a spending problem. I think we have both. I th- and I think that that's a matter of fact. I mean, you, you you look across the country and we spend more than any other province because we are accustomed to a certain level of service delivery. And we have described that to ourselves and we have sold ourselves on the concept of the Alberta advantage. And that means that we have the smoothest highways and the newest hospitals, (laughs) and we have the most schools and you have to wait the least amount of time for the fire truck to show up in your new suburban neighborhood because we build fire halls and we find ways to build rec centers. And if you talk to other people in other parts of the country, you'll realize that Albertans have actually had it pretty good for a long time. I mean, is anything that I'm saying unfair? I mean, I'll get back to you, Stephen, but but Kathleen, I'm responding to what you said. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. No, I, I do think, though, it's important to understand that along with the oil boom, we saw a wage boom. So when we talk about how... Uh, our government has the highest cost or our public services have the highest cost. Well, that was commensurate with the wage level that happened in Alberta because of the oil boom. Now what we want to do is say the oil booms over. So teachers and doctors and nurses, they don't matter anymore. We're either going to roll them back or we're going to lay them all off. That doesn't solve any problems. I'm sure it, it satisfies the the need for um, the schadenfreudic feelings of some people who are out of work because of the, the drop in ONG revenue. But it doesn't solve the issues that we're dealing with today, right now. Do either of you, uh, just to throw it, do either of you have to go? I asked you to stay till 10 o'clock. Do either of you have to go or we can hang tight? Okay, great. Let's hang tight because I want to get to some comments here in the live chat. I want to show you what some some notable Albertans, not that you two aren't notable Albertans, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I did a little cherry picking of Twitter and I want to put some budget responses in front of our audience. Um, you know, Tracy says we need to stop the private versus public wedge. Uh, Blind Melon says this was this was right after you you uh, blew off a little steam there, Stephen. Um, Blind Melon says, "Man, I love this guy." Michelle says, "I love the passion." Megan says, "And we are all listening." Um, Air uh, I said, Straya says, "Stephen, preach." Uh, Donna says, "I've been saying for years that public workers are oftentimes married or related to private sector workers." Um, 
What's this? Uh, Nancy says, Stephen, you keep going. We need to invest in our kids, not cut them off at the knees. Uh, Marco says talking about this budget while ignoring privatization is reductive. Uh, Alyssa says the UCP is not at all conservative. Michaela says, Stephen is me and I am Stephen. Uh, Don says, uh, what an excellent point on identifying special needs and, and puff funding cuts. That's what's that program unit funding or something, right? Like it's, it's for, for kids that Steven, you can explain that to us in a second. Don says my, my next door neighbors are affected um, by this uh, hope, hope Springs, which is my favorite name. One of my favorite names of all of our audience members says that's exactly what Bernie Sanders has been saying. You know, conservatives say they don't believe in welfare, except they provide it to corporations all the time. Um, a <laughs> Kiki can't wait to respond to that. <laughs> Covray says, as a couple in our 20s, we are actively seeking to leave Alberta because we just cannot handle this government and we don't see a future for our family here. Ken says it's extremely frustrating to watch the constant lying, uh, says Ken. Constant lying is what he's perceiving, what he's seeing from this. Um, he says, you know, the UCP raised personal income taxes in the 2019-20 budget. They wouldn't do it honestly and transparently. They did it with de-indexing tax levels. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, there's there's a lot of downloading of costs on municipalities here. MSI funding is is impacted to get into the weeds a little bit, which means that municipalities are are surrendering some control um, and going to be relying on the province a little bit more for funding and programs like this. Stephen, this is a, this is just me generally surveying the landscape of who's tuning in live right now. Uh, what jumps out at you? I mean, I, I feel like it's been a while since we last came to you, and the steam is starting to dissipate from your ears. Are, do you feel any better after after letting that out, or are you still as fired up as you were ten minutes ago? <laughs> oh, Ryan, I'm always fired up. I think. <laughs> uh, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that. Um, but you know, it it it's. <sighs> It's frustrating, right? And and it may breaks my heart when I hear, you know, that comment, like we're looking at leaving Alberta. I made the comment yesterday on Twitter, you know, I was born in this province. I was born in the Edmonton General Hospital. I will die in this province. No government's gonna chase me out. But what we do need is we need to, to find more friends, more people to stand with us and say enough is enough with this government. We need to, we need to you know, everybody, a lot of people rely too much on the opposition. The opposition has a role to play, but without people backing them, without people standing up, without people power, there's not a lot they can do. Um, you know, I, I know last time you asked how I went from, from 20 followers to, to whatever, almost 15,000 now within just over a year. And I wish then I had a respond that the reason is, is that not that many people, especially teachers, aren't speaking out, out of fear of employment repercussions. They are scared. They are fearful. And I want to send this message out to all my teacher and education friends. They, the government of Alberta is not your employer. The school division is. You have every right. When you became a teacher, they, you didn't give up the right to pro publicly criticize professionally this government. And I'm doing that. And I want others to join me. And, I, you know, my goal was to get out to the legislature and bring all my friends. A pandemic has, has made things a little bit different, but we're still driving protests. We're still sending our letters, chalking on sidewalks. We need more of that. They are hearing it. And, and, and yes, it, it, it does matter. Advocacy does matter. And I, I, I really, really hope that others stay with me. Don't abandon us. Don't abandon Alberta. Alberta's our home. They, they, they're here for a short time. We'll make damn sure the UCP are here for only a short time because I don't want to live in Alberta where, where we see 
You see education destroyed. We see health cuts. We see wars with doctors. We see, you know, uh, <laughs> environmental mess blowing up mountains. I don't want to see that either, but I'm not leaving. And I hope you stay and you fight with me. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, I, I've had a real I don't blame people that are I mean, I can understand you, you can move wherever you want. You can live wherever you want. It's one of the great things about about living in Canada. And, and also I lament you know, so people have even reached out to me and, and, you know, this is just candid, casual conversation. Um, you see, you guys, now, once you tell me you can stay overtime, now is when I get all whimsical. So now you're screwed. Now <laughs> you got to listen. Favorite to, part. Now, now you got to listen to my explorative thought. Um, but, you know, people have said, you know, Jesper, you could do the uh, you could do the show from anywhere. I mean, you could do real talk from anywhere. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm actually planning on, we have, t- we're holding tickets in a home lottery right now, and I'm fully intending on winning, which, which means that we're going to, we're going to be moving our studio, but I digress. I, I've, I've sat there and I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a stubborn bastard, to be honest with you, Stephen, I'm a little bit like you. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I, I grew up here and I was born and raised. I was born in the Holy Cross hospital. The Ralph Klein blew up after, I mean, I, 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 I've, I've seen the ebbs and flows. I, I, I you know, my, my grandpa was a proud chemical engineer and I've, and I've got friends and relatives. In, in in innovative fields and I've got those that continue to contribute to oil and gas and those that are teachers and nurses and I think I'm the average Albertan like many other people um, and I'm not going to let the province be run roughshod uh, by a bunch of people that, that touch down here and that have ideas on how they can implement their, their own vision um, at the expense of Albertans. Fuck no. So I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere, Stephen. Uh, Kiki's not in her head. Uh, we're going to get to more of your comments. I want to get to, I mean, I'm loving this. I just, I just checked in on Twitter and this is great at Real Talk RJ on the hashtag. Emma says, I'm watching two of my favorite people on Real Talk right now. She says, you know, Kiki and Steven, I'm cheering you on and I'm yelling at my laptop like it's a sport. Charlotte is watching. She says a damn good realistic discussion on Jesperson with Kiki and Steven. A really good listen. Gilles is watching. Gilles Prefontaine says, I completely agree with Kathleen. Uh, you know, if the UCP thought budget 2021 was so great, why are they lying to Albertans about it? If you think spending cuts are required, why not just be honest about it? The UCP should be telling it like it is, but they aren't. Um We'll get to more on this in just a second. Let me take a real quick break to pay a couple of bills, give our panelists a chance to, to grab a, a quick swig of coffee. Um, we wanted to remind you that we wouldn't be doing this show without the incredible support of our partners, and that includes the team at Kubi Energy. You know, coming up on Monday, another edition of Positive Reflections, which means we need to see what is inspiring you, what's making you happy. Is it a video of your baby taking their first steps? Is it a photo of your great granddad after he got his inocu- after he got his vaccination shot? Is it is it a photo of your inoculated great grandpa? Send it to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Note positive reflections. Kubi Energy is providing solar installation services, consultation, of course, as well in BC and Alberta. They've been doing it for a number of years. They're Tesla certified. They've got electricians doing the installs, which means you don't have to worry. And it's not like you got red green up there on your roof with a bunch of duct tape. Kubi Energy's doing it right, and they handle all the paperwork. Check them out at kubienergy.ca. We're also grateful to be partnering with the team at Clean Air Club. Furnace filters are their business, and they do it well. Here's what you need to do. You walk down to your furnace as soon as we go off the air today. You write down the size of the filter. It's printed on down the side. You go to cleanairclub.ca. You sign up, and probably tomorrow or the next day, you got your new furnace filters on your front step. You save money, you breathe easy with Clean Air Club. And if you're looking to take the stress out of moving, might we humbly suggest the team at Alberta Moving at Alta Moving and Storage. Alta Moving and Storage has been locally owned and operated for many years in, of course, the long and short-term storage business. 
but also they got these pod style moving containers. This is where everybody's going. You want to talk about industries evolving? Moving is so stressful. You don't need a big 18 wheeler outside your house. The clock is ticking and you're spazzing out. Nobody blames you. Get the pod style container. Take your time with Alta moving and storage. Kathleen Smith and Steven Anderson are our guests in the second half of this budget. Well, we'll call it the digestive exercise. And you know what happens after? No, I'm not going to go there. That's disgusting. Why was I about to say that? I was about to start talking about steaming piles and draw metaphors for budgets. And nobody needs to think about that right around the breakfast hour. But you two, why don't we put these in front of you? Sam, if you could, I know you got them locked and loaded. These are some of the responses that we saw from Albertans with significant platforms over the last couple of day, uh, last couple of uh, hours, rather, this morning. And then, of course, uh, yesterday afternoon, that's when we heard from Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson. He's chair of the Big City Mayor's Caucus. Of course, uh, he says, my reaction to the budget for a budget focused on health, recovery, and finding savings, I'm confounded and disappointed. The province is not prepared to work with Edmonton on supportive housing and has cut critical infrastructure funding to our city. That from Edmonton's mayor. Uh, Rachel Notley, former premier, of course, leader of the official opposition. Jason Kenney's budget slashes funding for municipalities by three quarters of a billion dollars by the end of 2023. This means higher property taxes for each and every Albertan. This is what they call downloading costs. Uh, This is Joe Sisi, former finance minister. Uh, No, you're going to say, well, obviously, they're going to be critical of the United Conservatives. Sure. This is the voice on the other side. Uh, Former minister Sisi says Jason Kenney promised no new taxes, but Albertans will pay an additional $600 million in income tax thanks to this budget. Don't worry, though, says Sisi. Wealthy corporations will continue to enjoy the $4.7 billion corporate tax handouts. Here's another comment that we uh, jumped out at us. This is Edmonton City Councilor Andrew Knack. If you say you're a fiscal conservative and that you care about others, yet you choose to ignore the clear evidence that supportive housing saves lives and money, then you aren't actually a fiscal conservative and you don't care about others. That's a hell of a thing for a city councilor to say. You can tell that they've got no appetite for what they saw yesterday. Amarjeet Sohi, um, rumored to be running for mayor. He, he keeps denying that he's going to do I'm going to ask these two if they think he's going to do it. Um, I do. As a matter of fact, if I can be so bold, I'm going to say the likely future mayor of Edmonton, Amarjeet Sohi. Sam, give me his tweet one more there. Uh, today's budget says so he is a lost opportunity to forge a partnership with Edmonton. The austerity measures and cutbacks will hurt economic growth and jobs in Edmonton. The budget lacks compassion, says Sohi. No emphasis to tackle racism or provide dignity to the most vulnerable. Let me tack onto that an observation as well. Um, oh gosh, my chat line, uh, my, my, my live chat jumped forward. So I have to apologize to, to the viewer. I don't know who it is that said this, but someone said, can we please note the fact the budget doesn't really address in meaningful fashion women or indigenous Albertans either. Um, I saw Lee Scotel, a professor at the University of Alberta, say we need a gender-based analysis of this budget ASAP. Uh, Kathleen, I mean, I've just teed up about a thousand things here and you've been nodding throughout. Where do you oh, yeah. want to start? Uh, oh, you know, we have a government in this province currently that is married to its own ideology. And that's dangerous. They all are, though, aren't they? Can we be fair? They all are. I I think that uh, every party, every government is married to their own ideology to a certain extent. But when when you're dealing with an unprecedented crisis, and it's really a double crisis in Alberta because we've lost what was our cash cow, our golden calf, if you will, has 
been tarnished. And we're also dealing with a public health crisis. And these, these types of circumstances require innovative thinking. They require governments, they require leaders to step outside of this defined box they have for themselves and try new things. And unfortunately, we have a government that is refusing to do that. Now, I, I have to say I'm a confirmed independent. I don't like any of them. <laughs> I don't like any of the parties. I don't like any of the leaders. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of opposition members who howl at every little thing and that results in people ignoring them the way my kid ignores me when I nag her, right? Like you got to pick and choose your battles. And we've got an opposition that will blow everything up into a major crisis. I'm tired of governments that are, are so set on pandering to their base that they won't embrace new ideas. Kenny, Kenny is an excellent campaigner. I don't think there's anyone better in this country at campaigning than Jason Kenney. But Kenny also knows that come the next election, he doesn't have to worry about Edmonton because we're behind the orange wall. We're not going to vote for him anyways. So he's going to develop a budget and policy that is least detrimental to his base while pandering to what they want to see from their government. All he's got to get is the rural votes, and five or seven seats in Calgary, and he's back. <laughs> he's back in power, right? So, am I surprised that he's screwing over Edmonton? No, it's what I've come to expect from conservative governments in this province. They always screw over Edmonton. Am I surprised that suburbanites are getting the short end of the stick? No. Am I surprised that women yet again are getting screwed over by conservative government? That's their pastime. That's what they do me, for shits and giggles. Is let me jump in women. for a second. Let me jump in for a second because people are going to say, like, I want to I want to uh, budget coverage and, and, and uh, discussion is is a delicate balance because you don't want to you don't want to speak too broadly. You right. don't want to say like, oh, the government just, you know, hates women and then move on and never address it because people will say, well, hang on a second. Right. And then we also don't want to get into the weeds too deep where we're going to lose everybody's interest. But when you talk about women being ignored or neglected in this budget, what what's an example or two that you're specifically talking about? Uh, right off the bat, let's talk about daycare. Let's talk about how the cost of daycare is prohibitive to women working in this province because women in a in the traditional family setting, let's just use that as an example. Women are still making less than men. And what allows women to go out and pursue their careers and to bring uh, an equal income into their home is affordable daycare. And this government has done nothing to do that, the, nothing to promote that. They, they attack time and time again public service sectors that are predominantly employed by women. They go after education. They go after health care. We, we already know that the majority of people who lose their jobs from those sectors are women. So then what do we do when we've got all these out-of-work women who are trying to provide for their families and their children? I mean, I, I don't understand how, how this government thinks it makes sense to put people out of work to not properly fund daycare so that women can go back into the workforce and then to have to make up for that in social services funding. Like nothing about this budget makes sense 
on a go forward basis. And that's what I'm most concerned about is what is the ultimate ob- objective here? What is the plan going forward? Because this is the same shit they've shown us every time that has accomplished nothing. I, uh, I want to get back to you, Stephen. With a, uh, I want to talk about puff funding and I want to talk about education. It's your wheelhouse. Um, I want to get to our, our uh, hashtag here for a second. Um, Sam, can you put me full screen for a second? I just, I, cause I want to show you something. This is from Barb. Um, Barb is watching in and, and she's, she sees what's behind me and Barb knows her artwork. She knows her Alberta artwork here. And she sees that this is a, a Slavo Chech sculpture behind me. It's, it's part of his bent, not broken series. And Barb says, Ryan, what a beautiful sculpture behind you, bent, not broken. Uh, she says it's symbolic of our current situation in Alberta. Barb, you're absolutely, this is why Carrie and I invested in it. Um, this is our, that's our pandemic purchase. Uh, we didn't get to, we didn't get to travel as a family. So we invested in local art. Um, but she says, you know, maybe, maybe you could pass the premier along uh, a replica for his Zoom background. Uh, yeah, well, I, I hope that it sends a message, Barb, about where, where my optimism is. Uh, Phil McClure on Twitter says, cut the war room, not education and healthcare." Um Brad says, I was born in the Foothills Hospital in Calgary, Ryan. I hear you, man, with regards to staying around. Uh, Carrie says uh, to you, Stephen, she says, thank you for speaking what I'm feeling. I'm born and raised in Alberta. I'm not going anywhere, but it's heartbreaking that so many don't see a future here. As a matter of fact, it brings me to tears uh, sometimes. Kelty says, this real talk uh, with Kiki and, and Stephen, maybe my favorite panel ever on the show. Thank you, Stephen, for mentioning our Puff kids. How on earth do you decide between fighting for your province and helping your child? Can you can you take us into this, Stephen, for, for just a second? Can you help people that aren't? I mean, if, if, if Puff funding impacts your family, this is the most important story of the year for you. But for a lot of people, they have no idea what it is, how it works or why it matters. So now you're going to get me fired up again, Ryan. Um, I'm not going to apologize either. (laughs) Neither am I. Uh, I'm I'm livid. I'm pissed that, you know, you talked about about sustainable housing. I mean, this government has, they don't care about the homeless. They don't care about those with addictions. They don't care about young children with, with, uh, with special needs. Um, You know, uh, my wife teaches grade one. Um, I I don't know how she does it, but she does. Um, It's an interesting house we live in sometimes. Uh, And, and, you know, the thing is a, Puff funding is is designed for early interventions, like uh, is is funding for early interventions and in students that are, we recognize early that have special learning needs, um, and and that could be a variety of things. My my minor is actually special education. Um, it could I mean range from really anything. I mean you name it, right? And so, it, and I see as a high school teacher that if we don't like, I see the kids that didn't get those extra supports, and you know I, I hate we try we try our damnedest. In, in the later grades, but really at 16, it's, it's, it's really hard. It really truly is hard to bring those kids back, right? To, to give them the supports. We, we need to get that to them early. Um, the, they, they've cut it, they've cut it for, for, for uh, and, and they say they don't cut. They say they don't cut. And then, you know, Kathleen mentioned that I have a theory and I'm pretty, I'm, da- I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, maybe others will disagree. The UCP continue, continue to gaslight us and tell us there are, there's no cuts. Why do they do that? They do that because if we're so busy fighting that there's a cut, we're not busy fighting the cut. 
And I mean, we have proof, right? They keep saying education isn't being funded. I have the list from our division of every school that lost, every school lost full-time employees. We had like this school lost 1.2 full-time employees. This school lost, you know, this school lost that any EAs, right? You look at the end of the day, whatever you want, whatever funding model you want to use, whatever kind of uh, uh, grants you want to say they have, at the end of the day, if we have less money, there's less money to help those kids, right? And so EA time's taken away. All of a sudden, instead of two kids sharing an EA, there's eight kids sharing half an EA, right? Uh, and, and, and who's teaching these kids to read? Who's sitting down with them? Teachers, teachers get more and more students. They don't have, we just literally can't sit down one-on-one, -on -one, right? And but so they, they pull that funding out. They pull that funding out that also helps with school counselors and, and, and get students uh, the, psycho the psychological help they might need. Um, and and I mean, that's it. That's it. When you get to that, I mean, I could, I could talk about how they're, 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 they're cutting so many other things in education and how it's gotten harder. I've been teaching now, this is my 12th year, uh, how it's gotten harder since the first day I've started. I could talk about how in university, when they had the Alberta Learning, uh, or commission, or Alberta commission on Learning Report and how they recommended smaller class sizes, and we've never met that. They continue to climb every year. You know, I could go on and on about that, but really when you want to see who the UCP are, they cut funding to kids with special needs who have difficulties reading, writing, and, and, and you know, that, and, and you look at how they're cutting funding to people that are living on our streets, right? Homeless people. You look at, you look how they cut, cut you know, people who have addictions. You see how they cut that. They don't care. They don't care, but Walmart gets an increase. Walmart gets to make more money than 44 states, pays less taxes than 44 states and every province in this country. When I see that, it sickens me. It makes me so disgusted, right? We're giving them the, our kids money, right? It's not, I'm not even gonna talk about, about uh, you know, I, I know I mentioned to you about the negotiations and teacher wages, you know, that is so, we're so far from that. I'm here for our kids. Our teachers, my teacher friends are here for our kids. You know, my post-secondary education friends, that's something that needs to be discussed. They took a huge hit yesterday, huge. You know, you look at the 6.3% on top of the other, I think 6%, you look at how they're increasing tuition by 20% over three years, right? Mm -hmm. You look how they got, they, they actually increased student loan costs. You look how they took away um, uh, the uh, tax, uh, tax breaks for kids that are uh, for parents that are helping their kids go to university right like do they want us to be like dumber is that the idea do they want us to be a u.s red state where we don't go to nate or state to get our trade certification and we just end up kind of learning on the job and hope that stuff works they don't give a damn about me they don't give a damn about our kids they care yeah. about themselves they care about buying their pockets and they care about helping their corporate pals are. They, they aren't helping their corporate pals. I fear they are the corporate pals. I have nothing to disagree with there. Go Steven. I'm, 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 very, I'm very concerned about what this province looks like for my daughter's generation. I'm very concerned that while this government howls about leftist elitists in universities, they're doing everything they can to damage post-secondary education. They're doing everything they can to damage uh, primary public education. It, it, this isn't something that, that makes sense to me. We're in a situation now where 
the oil and gas industry is in a downturn. And people, I hate to tell you this, Albertans, I hate to tell you this, but that is the wave of the future. We need to diversify. We've got a government that thinks we can just throw all of our children into trades. Well, where, where are those trades going to find jobs? because the ONG industry isn't there anymore to take them all on. I mean, there's, there's no clear thought to this budget. And that's what I'm most concerned about. And I'm telling you right now, we are going to see a mass exodus of young people from Alberta. You think the Klein years were bad when young people were leaving in droves, when we lost nurses and doctors and teachers? It's coming again. And it's going to be a tsunami of loss for this province. We as Albertans have got to decide the type of province we want to have and then demand that our government achieve that. We've got to decide what we want our future to be because there's there's no vision in this budget. I do, uh, hold on a second. I, uh, you know, I agree with you, Kathleen. The only one thing that I would say is that renewable energy is going to need a hell of a lot of tradespeople too, and so and and they haven't the UCP government. They say they're the, the the government of oil and gas workers. They're not. They're not. They cut funding. They got rid of overtime. They 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 cut safety restrictions. Um, you know they they're they're making life harder for people. Uh, all people. They they're not creating jobs. They've lost jobs. They, they you know it's they're not the party of oil and gas people. They're not the party of oil and gas workers. They're the, party of oil and gas corporations and we've yes. seen them run you've seen yes. them run away with our dollars with our money with our kids money and that's the one thing i want to bring up too about teachers you know i don't know that many teachers that aren't parents i'm not just fighting for my for your kids I, we're all fighting for our kids and even if the, the ones i teach each day aren't my kids they are they are and we need to fight for them and we need to give them we need to give them that post-secondary like like the dreams their hopes like where's that where are we how are they going to afford that? Are we making universities so expensive that only the, the uber wealthy can attend? You know, it's heartbreaking. I uh, I see on the on the live chat here, Bra chimes in. What's up, Bra? Um, says Jesperson giving airtime to a leftist elitist Twitter troll. <laughs> I just don't know which of you. I was just going to say, is that who, me or is that Steven? Which one is it? <laughs> Who's the leftist elitist? Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't, everyone's just, you, you can't, if you're going to support this government, you're, you're more than welcome to support the government. And that's great that, that you, you can vote and you can support whatever party you like, but you have surrendered uh, as of the, the turn into the calendar year 2021 and the breaking of the Aloha gate story, you have surrendered the use of the word elitist. And I will not accept the, uh, any conservative supporter invoking the word elitist anymore. Now you can, you can call Kathleen a Twitter troll. You can call <laughs> Steven a Twitter troll. You can call him leftists if you want, but I will not accept you invoking the word elitist. If you continue to support the government that told us we can't travel while their senior officials and elected representatives headed off to fancy digs in Maui. I Amen. will not accept it. And I'm drawing the line. No more elitist. Sue says, you know, Hey, uh, go ahead, Stephen. I would, I would love to, I don't know. I don't know if they're referring, bros referring to me. Um, I don't know if they've spent 28 days straight uh, working in a bottom ash conveyor at a coal-fired power plant 
I don't know what they think's elitist about that. Um, I don't know <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> elitist if that if that one's aimed at me. Uh, that's a new one. Uh, now lefty. Oh sure, you know as opposed to Kathleen, I'll fully tell you I support the NDP. I'm not super partisan, but you know what? With this government, I'm getting a little more so. But I'll also tell you that I've also when the NDP were in power, I sent scathing letters about about the NDP cutting up for you know going ahead with the PC's plan to, to privatize a, a fertility clinic. Right. So I keep telling people, get involved. And if you get involved with the party that's closest to you and if they piss you off, get more involved. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, my buddy Amarjeet Sogi. I uh, I never voted liberal. I never did. I voted for Amarjeet Sogi, though. And I would love to see him come back. I've never seen compared to the MP we have now who comes once a year from Ottawa to give out some free ice cream. And I don't know anybody who's more community-minded and a great and true human being than my friend Amarji. Wait, you get free ice cream? Yeah, no, well, I, I haven't Mine attended. Mine doesn't I don't do that. Oh. Excuse me. Uh, I would, you guys don't need to pander to politicians to get free ice cream. I, I got a freaking DQ sponsorship. <laughs> Dairy, Dairy Queen has audited the Real Talk studio space, and we have determined collectively that with our humble beginnings, we don't have the square footage for a freezer, but they have promised us when we're able to accept delivery, a freezer full of dilly bars, peanut buster parfaits and the like. So you guys don't need, you don't even need to kiss politicians asses for free ice cream. Just anymore. yours. You just, just yours. You don't, and you don't even need to kiss my ass. Cause we're going to have so much of it. We're just going to have to get rid of it. I'm going to jump in here just to Sam point Brooks. out that um, look at all the empty space in the studio. I could fit like 12 freezers in here right now. <laughs> But Sam, Sam, and keep camera for up. First of all, Sam, I miss you, buddy. Oh, I, just, I, miss you. I can't wait. But Sam, so here we have our camera for studio shot. You explain to me, Sam, where you're going to put a freezer if we're still going to put in the Real Talk Scotch Bar. Where in the hell is the ice cream freezer going to okay, go? Okay, 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 okay. Well, freezers so you, are low, so it can go under the bar, right? Okay. Like if we get a front doored freezer with like a few bays on the front of it, and you put a bar top on top. I like it. I like it. I want to drop back into the to the um, the live chat here because there are some great comments going on. And specifically, I want to take this back to, by the way, I think this is the first interview in the history of Real Talk in our 12 weeks now that has gone a half hour over time. But I just can't say goodbye to these two. Um, I, I kind of feel like this is what it felt like. Remember back when we used to be able to go for beers and bang on the tables and make noise and, and celebrate wins and losses? Uh, that's I what I miss. so much. Um, Susan says, I don't blame people for wanting to leave, but I hope that more progressive voices stick around and fight. That's our untapped resource and the best way to beat back the Wexiteers and the trickle-down despots. That from Susan. <laughs> trickle-down despots is an amazing band name, by the way. And I also wanted to touch on this, calling people lefties. I mean, in this, it, it's like unless you're behind the wheel of a big rig heading to Ottawa calling for dissolving the United Nations and ending Sharia law, it's like you're a lefty now in Alberta. So uh, as long as that continues to be the definition, I'm more than <laughs> I mean, the the, the the, the spectrum has shifted so dramatically and drastically that everyone's lost all perspective on what left and center and right even. And what does center mean? I mean, Danielle Smith told us on Monday, she's a centrist. I don't know about that. I don't know if center means anything anymore either, but we, I want to get back to the, the comments here um, on, on people are talking about puff funding and, and people have been saying, Hey, listen, like, you know, one, one of the, one of our viewers here um, said, you know, our kid, our son, this is Corinne says our son had two years uh, of puff, this program unit funding. It's, it's, 
it's like to generalize, it's like it's like funding for kids that have some some special needs when it comes to their learning and, and the importance. Do I have to say this or is this can we all agree that that early intervention is so important? Like, obviously, would you rather fight cancer like at stage one or stage four? Like, when would you rather fight it? So Corinne says my son had two years of puff uh, as delayed. He was delayed in his speech development and he's been on the honor roll since grade seven and he's going to graduate this year. I mean, how great is that? Um, you know, Megan says, if all of our kids learn trades and let's, Hey, we've got a proud fourth generation, Alberta Millwright on the panel. This is not a shot against trades at all, but we need balance. And Megan says, if all the kids are, are being steered into trades, where's the future doctors and nurses and lawyers and teachers going to come from? Right. I mean, you know, th- 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 these are conversations we have to have. It's not lost on me. You know, yesterday, you know, we, we have this guy come on the show. He's, he's an absolute hero. Um, uh, you know, the Matthewson brothers stepped up and helped Alberta Health Services by essentially finding a, a life hack for their website and helping thousands of seniors register for their register for their vaccinations. Well, what's his background? What's Corey Matthewson's background? Theater. He's a theater performer. I mean, I, I don't I hate I, you know, I'm going to pump our own tires for a second. Um, Real talk is hiring. As a matter of fact, right now, RyanJesperson.com slash team, you'll find it's the last day of our job posting and we're hiring. Um, well, guess what? I'm a liberal arts communications graduate from a Bachelor <laughs> of Arts program that if it were to be put on the chopping block of who's going to generate revenue and who's not, the communications grads would be the first to lose their funding. Well, here we are, humble but mighty and hiring right now and paying income taxes. So I don't think I think the conversation needs to be a little more open minded. Kiki? Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things that we like to talk about on the Women in Alberta Politics podcast is policy over people, and this is why I'm I'm so opposed to allowing any party to brand me with their banner. It's why I'm opposed to people digging in deep and becoming their their party's ideology. Because when we do that, we are more inclined to accept what ever comes out of that party. We're more inclined towards fealty towards the party machine as opposed to promoting good policy. What we have an opportunity to do right now, not only in this province, but in North America, is to start focusing on policy over political persona or political ideology. That is really the only path forward towards real change. We've got to start holding our own to account for what they're doing and how they're doing it. Because that is how a revolution in politics and in civic management happens. Unfortunately, Albertans are still very inclined to blame the NDP for all things bad, uh, including any screw up the current government makes, blame Ottawa daddy for everything bad and cling to this idea of Alberta as a, an eternally conservative province and, and population. It's getting us nowhere. So the one thing I would, I would really ask all Albertans to do is step away from your party loyalty, regardless of which party it is right now. Step away from your party loyalty. 
Think about the kind of province that you want to have and get involved, get engaged, activate yourself towards building that province. Because just howling about the current government and the mess they're making of things isn't going to save anything. Decide how you're going to engage. Decide how you're going to work and contribute because all of us have something to contribute and go out there and make change. Stephen, before I, I and I'm going to give uh, the two of you a chance for one last. I, I'm I'm worried about your blood pressure. Um, I do want to give you a chance for one last statement, but I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen. Um, in all seriousness, though, I want to get to some more of what real talkers are saying here. The live engagement here has been uh, has been remarkable, and um, it's telling about how Albertans and Western Canadians are, are feeling right now. Um, April says this government doesn't include research in their decisions. We've seen evidence of it. Why would they include early intervention research and funding decisions? Right. Michelle says kids shouldn't be steered anywhere except for the direction of their passions. I totally agree with Michelle, um, with the exception of our son, Wyatt, who will be a National Hockey League star because I have bold plans for my retirement and it involves uh, many elitist activities. And so uh, Wyatt will have to find a way to earn a handsome and tidy sum. Kim says, my grade eight uh, student's favorite class at school is construction class, and her future high school has a massive construction lab, and she is so jazzed about that. Uh, Dawn says, kindergarten to grade three teachers are just absolute miracle workers, and having seen them in action, I've been awestruck. I was I was a high school teacher, and the K to three teachers really, really opened up my eyes. Dylan says, I want to have a job in digital and I want my bestie uh, to be a great social worker. And I want my brother to be able to support his family in the trades. Heather says, I'm a university educated public servant married to a plumber pipe fitter. This is not unusual for Alberta. Heather, that might actually be the trend, to be honest. Uh, a different Heather, Heather Cook says, I love trades, says uh, as a paramedic uh, myself. Um, oh, this always happens to me. The chat jumps forward and I've lost it. But what well, she basically goes on, she was she was sort of outlining her CV and the school she's went to. And you guys know what I'm doing right now. I'm spinning my tires as I try to go find her comment because I really wanted to read it. Um, Heather, she's, here it is. As a paramedic, I'm educated in a trade school, a SAIT, Portage, and Nate. Let's not forget we can have more than one career, says Heather. You know, kind of like Millwright turned teacher. We got one sitting right here with us, don't we, Stephen? Let me give you some uh, an opportunity here to to leave us with something. I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your day, and I've got trash talk here waiting to happen. Um, but but we always want to leave the real talk audience, especially on a Friday, with something to think about. So, Stephen, you go first. You know, I I, I hearing those comments about oh uh, the trades. You know, it, it really upsets me. UCP haven't done anything for trades. Um, they they they've cut. They've cut trade school, post-secondary trade schools. Um, most of our, us as teachers who run those amazing programs like you were talking about, construction, metal fabrication, most of our funding comes from student fees that we charge parents because that's what we have to deal with. That's, we don't have enough. Um, uh, and 
And so there hasn't been any money. There was sure there was a little bit of money given to careers, the next generation, but, but there hasn't really been anything. They talk a big trades game. They talk a big oil and gas game, but I don't see it. I I just don't see it. And, and so everybody's getting left out. Yes. Nurses, doctors, new people training to be whatever career they want. They're all getting left out. There's nobody. I don't know what, who hasn't been cut. I mean, we could have had a shorter conversation about what the bit, what the UCP has done right since they were first elected. Let's do it right now. Oh, okay. I'm done. Right. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but you know what? The UCP arrived on. I was actually really, I was actually really curious to hear your answer. <laughs> well, that was my answer. Well, no, right? let me force you. Let me force you to add what, what is one just for fun. I just love doing it. What's one thing. Um, what's one thing that this government has done right. To prove you can be objective. Oh, I did have one a while ago. Ah, I finally said to myself, I've got one thing right, but you know what? I can't think about, I can't come up with it, to be honest. I, I, there's so few and far, I, so, so few and far between. And the truth is, whatever they say, I don't believe. The the biggest problem we have is we, there's no trust. Talking about a government who said, we're not going to cut education during the pandemic. And then two weeks, less than two weeks later, on a Saturday, lays off uh, tens of thousands of educational workers, right? There's no trust. I saw what Adriana Lagrange posted yesterday. We're maintaining, we're maintaining funding at record levels. Well, we also have record students, and there's inflation, and there's more students, less money. You know, um, but I, I, I also don't believe that. I don't believe anything they say. You know, the UCP arrived on budget day. They arrived on budget day with a box, and I'm saying this as a teacher. They arrived on budget day with a box of red crowns. Um, and they were unprepared and their homework was not done. And you know, that they, I, I, I don't know, there's no trusts. You look at Kenny's approval ratings at 26%. I don't know who does. There's, they, I don't know why they keep pandering to the base. There, soon enough, there's not going to be a base. You look at what they've done to rural municipalities. You look at all the increases in fees between insurance, between educational fees, bus fees, you look at um, like everybody's paying more, right? We're going to be paying way more municipal tax. It's, it's taxes in another way, right? It's another form and it's coming out of our pockets. So they're looking at cutting public sector wages and also everybody in Alberta on top, like every one of us public sector workers is also taking a, a has to spend more, spend more in user fees. And, and, and it disgusts me. You look at other provinces, they don't have education fees. They don't have school fees for textbooks. They don't have school fees, you know? And, 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 and you know, it, it, it's funny because, well, it's not funny, it's sad. And so really at the end of it, what I want, and, and I, I love what Kathleen had to say about getting involved and, 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 and helping people. And, and you know, I, I try not to be overly partisan because I feel as people, as and, and, and organizing groups of people, we, the opposition also, not just the UCP government, but the opposition should be paying attention to us. We need to get louder. We can't count on them to do the best they can. They need to hear from us. Both sides, every politician needs to be held accountable, right? I, I, mean, I, I, might, ar- I might actually argue, Stephen, that, uh, and I haven't really thought this through, but uh, this wouldn't be the first time that I put something into a microphone that I've not thought through. Um, I might argue that citizen outcry and citizen engagement is more important than anything that the official opposition can do. I mean, in, in a majority government situation, the official opposition, now you can find examples of how they can, you know, what they can do with filibustering and all these, you know, blah, blah, blah. But generally speaking, they're kind of handcuffed. And Well, yeah, 
what really matters is what the the people hold the power, man. Look at Aloha Gate. Look at coal. Look at all of the the, the instances here where the government has walked something back. It's not due to Rachel Notley or Shannon Phillips or Joe Cece or Sarah Hoffman or, or Darren Billis or anybody else. It's been due to the people. Yeah, exactly. You should see my front lawn. I don't know if there's any space with all the signs I have up there. Um, and, and you know what? It is the people and it is important. Everybody needs to get involved. It's not, like I said before, not public versus private, right? I have a great respect and a huge amount of empathy for, for all those tradespeople, all my former colleagues, all my friends that are unemployed right now. I recognize that, 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 that we are lucky that, that, that uh, a lot of people uh, luckier than a lot of other people. I recognize, you know, but it's not, we shouldn't hate each other because of that. We shouldn't be angry that one person has a job while somebody else doesn't. We should be all be angry that there's no jobs for everybody, that there's no, not that we're not doing anything to help everybody, everybody from the five-year-olds who can't get help when they have problems, learn, uh, reading and writing to, to the, to the, to the senior homeless people, that 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 have nowhere to go. I mean, it we were, you know, I, like I said before, and you you said too, Ryan. We were born here. I expect better of Alberta, but I'm not just going to sit here and say I expect better. I'm going to demand better, and I hope that I hope that more and more people get involved, get loud, join us. We're going to go to the one day, hopefully soon, we will be able to go to the legislature and say to this government that we want our Alberta back, and we're tired of whatever blasphemous garbage they're shipping our way. This is uh, interesting comments. I'm so great. The, the engagement on our live chat this morning is just <laughs> wild. I, can, I, I can't keep up with it, which is a, a wonderful problem to have. Um, but people are chiming in. I mean, Marie says we haven't even talked about how, how some folks' vehicle insurance increased by 30% this year. Uh, you know, James says Albertans need to be heard. And to do that, it may take a general strike. Um, you know, Terry says you've got a CC on your emails to the government. You CC the opposition. I'm going to add CC Real Talk. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. Says the government may claim they haven't received your email. Marv says, in my opinion, majority government is code for temporary dictatorship. Skylarks says our income taxes are also increasing or they're going up due to bracket creep. It's inflation. We're paying more because the tax index is several years old. What about this? Marie Aitken says, I know people that were living paycheck to paycheck. They've lost $700 a month just due to cuts and increases in costs. Yeah. I mean, that's people's reality right now. Kathleen, I don't want to, I, I know you too well to, to send too focused of a question and then ask you to make a closing statement. I know you got a lot to say, and I know you got the ability to wrap it up nicely with a bow. What are you going to leave us with? I think if there's one thing I'd like to leave your listeners with, it's that uh, to play on what Stephen said about it's not private versus public. It's also not rural versus urban. Amen. It's not urban versus suburbs. It's not Edmonton versus Calgary. We are Albertans. We are Canadians. And we have got to start holding our own to account. We have got to be willing to stand as watchdogs for our own and growl just as loudly at them as we do at the other side. So Albertans, start talking to your neighbors and don't worry about what banner they might have on the bumper sticker of their car. Let's start talking to each other and let's start holding our own to account to make change and ensure a viable province for the future of our children. 
um, you can hear our security system in action here. So my, either that or Moses and Monroe totally agree with everything you're saying, Kiki. They're very excited. You've got a boxer and a black lab that will support you for premier. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay, puppies. Thank you. Um, this is live. What are you going to do? Here they are protecting the house. Um, hey, to the two of you, thank you so much. I've, I've got a lot of people here uh, just reminding us and wanting me to remind you that you're their absolute favorite leftist trolls, leftist elitist trolls. <laughs> And so, uh, so I'll, I'll add you to my list of the, of the best leftist elitist trolls that we've ever had on the show. Thank you for this. Thank Thanks you. So much, Ryan. You take got care, it. Guys. Yeah. Take care. I appreciate I just absolutely love the passion from the two of you. That's Steven Anderson. He's a millwright turned teacher. And that is Kathleen Smith, uh, AKA Kiki planet. Make sure like right now, right now, go subscribe to their podcast. You can follow them on Twitter at political R and D. Uh, the podcast is the women of Alberta politics or women of AB poly find it, subscribe, rate them, give them five stars, give them a listen and share it around. That's uh, podcasting is the new talk radio. And, and she and her co-host Deirdre are doing an amazing uh, job there. Trash talks coming up in just a moment. Right now, I wanted to remind you how grateful we are. Hey, you want to talk about trades people that are doing amazing things, keeping Albertans homes heated through cold snaps and making sure that you have the plumbing and the heating fixes that you need. Todd's mechanical has been with us since day one and we're getting message after message. I read you Kathy's email last week. Chris Labossier, who owns local waste, reached out to me to say he called Todd's mechanical. Chris had like water coming out of the pot lights in his kitchen. No bueno. He said Todd's mechanical sorted it out in like half an hour. Todd is the plumber keeping Edmontonians warm and dry. They take care of all your plumbing and heating needs, including furnace repairs in this cold weather. For the best plumber in Edmonton, I always say, don't take my word for it. Read his Google reviews. Read what his customers say about him. Call Todd's Mechanical or write down the number for when you need it at 780-499-7598. Also want to remind you that now's a great time to take a look at the Jeep lineup for 2021, and there's no better place to do it selection-wise than with the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Now, they've got more Dodge Rams than they know what to do with right now, and that's a good thing for you because... The financial incentives are there. They've got some pretty great interest rates set up, uh, including some great promotional rates right now that will expire. So you're going to want to go talk to the teams. But in my mind, the most exciting thing coming out from Jeep this year, there's two, the seven passenger Grand Cherokee and the return of the Grand Wagoneer. If luxury SUV is the market you're in, do not overlook that. And you'll find the best selection at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And speaking of the team at Local Waste, this is where everybody does up the five-point seatbelt because it's about time for trash talk. We want to remind you the team at Local Waste has been finding solutions for businesses large and small in Alberta for more than 25 years. They go up against all the big guys, these big international companies. You need a hand. You need something figured out with your waste management. You think that they're going to call you back from their head office in Frankfurt, Germany? Really? Instead, on a first name basis, you can call the team at Local Waste. Call Chris or Lauren anytime. They'd love to talk trash with you at 780-242-9746. Every Friday, as we wrap up our broadcast week, the team at Local Waste presents a little something we present called Trash Talk. All right. 
For anybody that may be concerned, though I'm doing this from a home studio, my partner in life, my partner in crime, my wife, Carrie, has taken our little five-year-old and they've gone for a little walk. So I can read your emails uncensored like this one from Lauren, who writes in to say, you know, sometimes I look at Ryan's Twitter account to see if I missed a good guest. And yesterday, this is now two days ago, he said that private is better than public with regards to the vaccine registration website. And then later, Ryan lauded the public health system regarding his COVID testing. I thought, really? As a public servant, I can tell you that first, much of our IT is contracted out. Second, there have been major cuts over the past few years, and many of our systems are old because of a lack of investment. They're laughable. Lauren says on budget day, remember Albertans, you get what you pay for. I wonder if Ryan and his family would have had such a good experience with COVID testing if we didn't have public health care. Well, Lauren, I was kidding, mostly, but I appreciate your email and thanks for your public service. How about this one from Robert who writes in and says, earmuffs, Wyatt. Well, good thing is, Robert, he's outside right now. Robert says, hey, you want to be white tough, guys? I got something to tell you. A fellow white man here. Well, Métis, but whatever. Leave these hijabi Muslim women alone. What's next? You going to beat up some cowboys because you don't like their head coverings? I suspect not, says Robert. I got some news for you guys. These people are and always will be welcome in my community, my business, my home, and my family. You, sir, on the other other hand or not. So why don't you do us all a favor? Grab your wife, Karen, pack your shit, including your tiki torches, and get back to wherever your land-stealing ancestors came from. That from Robert, who is Team Raisin and Team Pineapple Pizza. What an email from Robert. We got this one from David, who says, I finally hit my limit on petty political outrage. Today, I read some really unreal comments by people on social media who I can only describe as being extremely emotional over the dropping of the Mr. and Mrs. on the potato head toy, like a toy based on a potato. The final straw that has broken this camel's back, says David, with everything going on in the world, global warming, climate change, a pandemic, the rise of white supremacy, and the list goes on. The hill to die on is the removal of imposed gender identities on toy potatoes. How about we let the kids decide where on the gender spectrum their enchanted potato falls? We have many other pressing matters requiring our attention. Perhaps we can save some outreach, outrage for some real world problems. This debacle is small potatoes in comparison that from david and our final trash talk today comes from gwen who says ryan i listen in every day from chestermere alberta i'm writing to voice my displeasure with this government number one fiscal responsibility i have never in my 53 years seen such a lack of respect for my tax dollars, including that gamble on Keystone XL. Number two, responsible resource development. If anybody's paying attention, water's the next oil. Wars will be fought over clean, fresh water. On this file, Jason Nixon and Jason Kenney need to resign. And number three, on jobs, as the mother of three young men, I have grave concerns about their ability and their choice to stay in Alberta. The promised jobs were only for one sector and have not materialized 
double speak and gaslighting are no longer tolerated. Where are the jobs? That from Gwen talking trash out of Strathmore, Alberta. You can send us your trash talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week to our Real Talk email inbox. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. What a day. What a week. We'll be back at it live Monday morning at 8.30 Mountain Time. Have a great weekend, Real Talkers.